BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, everybody. Robert Evans here, and I wanted to let you know this is a compilation episode. So every episode of the week that just happened uh, is here in one convenient and with somewhat less ads package for you to listen to in a long stretch if you want. Uh, If you've been listening to the episodes every day this week, there's going to be nothing new here for you, but you can make your own decisions. Well, I'm Robert Evans. May have said that already. I don't know. Like I said, too many motherfucking podcasts. But this is the last spooky week episode. Um, and and with me, actually in the office right now, maskless is a protest against the mask man. No, Garrison Davis. No, it's fine. It's fine, Garrison. Okay. I I understand that that you don't believe in health mandates. Okay, all right. We have to respect each other's differences and no, opinions. No, I have magic spookier. to protect myself. That's right. That's so right. it's fine. You use chaos magic to protect yourself from COVID, Garrison. What do you got for me? Today? We're doing we're doing the first it could happen here daily uh, book episode. Excellent. Um, sexy and so erotic. I, uh, we, we were looking for for spooky content for spooky week and mm-hmm. around Halloween, and I I wanted to find 
a book written by an unhinged like Christian writer about what they think Halloween is. And I found I found one with very, very little browsing. It It, took it was very quick. It took me like five minutes. It used to be. You were too well, no, because you did grow up in the cult. But you were too young to remember this being a super mainstream. I mean, thing. I, I wasn't. I like we had no Halloween when I was a kid. We couldn't go yeah. trick or treating. We had like we had like we had like a we had, we had like a harvest party the church put on. Oh god! But yeah. like we had we I couldn't I didn't the first time I went trick or treating was when I was like twelve and I moved to Portland. No, as far as I was like thirteen was the first time I, I I went trick or treating. Yeah, it's um. I mean, it used to be like it used to be something that got more mainstream play the like anti Halloween thing. Yeah, um, kind of tied. In with a satanic panic, like I remember the early '90s. That's what this book is going like, to be about. Yeah, angry about it, but man, it just is like it's it's it almost feels like homey and comforting. I know. Like, thinking it back is, to like, that, as this, opposed this to this book has been oddly comforting. Yeah, because it just reminds me of what childhood was like. Yeah, because it's just all the same stuff. Yeah. So I, I want you. I want you to read the, the title and the, the author of this amazing mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is wow. The cover is a. Uh, uh-huh. Honestly, just looks like a normal jack o' lantern. It looks like a Somebody's regular like Halloween a bat, cover. A, yeah. a, a, a bat into a jack o' lantern, but it's got like spooky white smoke coming out of it. Yeah, very scary. The title is Halloween Satan's New Year by Dr. Billy Dimily. <laughs> it's not a real name. It is, what is not th- a real name. Billy. Billy. A- <laughs> like, it's, I'm, I swear to God, listeners, B I L L Y E. That is not a name. And the last name that was. That is certainly not Billy. That's Billy. No. But the last name was just as bad. Dimly? Yeah. D Y M A L L Y. Dim Ally? Billy? I don't Dim know. Ally? Dimly? I don't know. Nonsense. Complete nonsense. nonsense. So we have we, whenever you find a Christian book written by someone with doctor in front of their first name, you know oh, it's yeah. you know it's gonna be good. You so, gotta figure out what kind of doctor first. Uh-huh. Guess what guess what kind of doctor? So first of all for Divinity, the author, maybe so Billy Dimley, the author, uh, earned Billy. a th- earned a theological doctorate of ministry yeah, that's in right. the mid eighties mm-hmm. at the Honolulu uh, Hawaii <laughs> extension <laughs> of yeah. the of the Western Conservative Baptist Theological Seminary, headquartered in Portland, Oregon. So that's fun. The Honolulu one headquartered. The the, he, in the, Hol- the branch was in Honolulu, but the headquarters was apparently in Portland, Oregon, in the eighties. That sure, makes sense. Sure. I'm not sure if it's still here, but you, you know, sister cities, Portland and Honolulu. Yeah. <laughs> So she, she wrote at least 15 original manuscripts, uh, her word, manuscript, um, on a wide range of biblical doctrines Wait, and subjects. Wait, Billy is a lady? I believe so. I mean, it has she, her pronouns. All right, I got to I got to I got to so, continue. I'm going to look this up. So yeah, B- Billy so the, the the book that we're looking at is is one one of her fifteen manuscripts, mm-hmm. um, self published by Infinity Publishing. Um, yeah, this was in uh, published in two thousand six. So that gives us a good yeah. That's a lady, and if that's her actual picture on the front, she just kind of looks like a looks like a white lady. It looks like a white lady. So yeah. yeah. So my, one of my favorite parts of the book so far is right when you open up to the title page. It says you know Halloween, Satan's New Year, the t- title of the book. And then as a as a brief description of what the book is, it says a systematic compilation and narrative of paraphrased Bible scriptures. Oh whoa! No, that <gasps> is not her on the cover because she is not a white lady. Is she not? No, that's her. Oh, she she's like a black conservative Baptist. Yeah, yeah. She Got just looks it. like uh, okay. she looks like uh, kind of like a judge. Honestly. She does look a she, lot like she's a judge. Got strong judge energy. She has some judge, judge energy. Yeah. Okay. Well, but I, I, there I you do. Go. <laughs> I do love the systematic compilation narrative of paraphrased Bible scriptures, not actual Bible, not actual Bible scriptures. Wow. Oh God. Garrison. Uh huh. You want to guess what she has as her as her place of employment on Facebook? <sighs> well, let me think. 
Uh, I don't know. I'm going to read it verbatim. Okay. Works at in, and this is all caps now. Okay. The service of God. All right. She works at in the service of God. She does work at in the service of God. Yeah. Who doesn't work at in the service of God? Am I right? Oh, uh, fucking incredible. Based on this book, I'm guessing she got real real into QAnon, but mm-hmm. that's just based on what I've read. I think she book. may have died. Oh, really? Well, her last post is in February of 2020. Oh, okay. well, well <laughs> I wonder what happened around yeah. February 2022 now. Maybe she's just not super into Facebook, but or, she's posting quite a lot prior I, to I that. I think there's a decent chance. Well, no, she's not. She's actually not super. There's a decent chance COVID yeah. got her. Yeah, maybe there's she just chance. doesn't use a lot of social media. That's fine. Okay, anyway, continue, please. I, so, yeah, I, I do like that she describes the book as paraphrased Bible scriptures. Not actual Bible <laughs> yeah, scriptures. Yeah, no, paraphrased. paraphrased. <laughs> and and Bible, paraphrased Bible scriptures on the doctrines of good and evil, including an expose on the practice of witchcraft, magic, occultism, divination, and Satan worship. Mm-hmm. So that, that is how she describes the book. Now, the book is like oh, almost, the book is 200 pages long. And it is mostly the same sentence rewritten in like 12 ways. Excellent. Um, it's all saying about how good Jesus is and how evil Satan is and how people using magic are servants of Satan. Basically, it's just that for for 200 pages. And she includes like a lot of like a, a lot of like, again, paraphrased Bible scriptures about, you know, basically like really classic evangelical kind of conservative Baptist Christianity t- type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what most of the book is. There's there's not much Halloween content in this Halloween book. That doesn't surprise me. That's often the case with these weird, like, yeah. it's just, it's they've got some bizarre theological gripe that's only tangentially yeah. related to the culture war So they've issue. a lot of stuff on, like, like they've, like, stuff on, like, Zionism and the Holy Spirit. Oh, hell yeah. I bet speech. she's got great takes on <laughs> Zionism. Sacred books. Yeah. The baptism. Like, it's a whole bunch of, whole bunch of just, like, regular kind of conservative Christian stuff, except... There is one chapter that is pure gold. Oh. It is called The Witch of Endor. Oh my. And it oh is, wow. It is Yeah. This I, is this is the I, expose on witchcraft and Halloween. I'm very excited. It's it is it is the best part of the book and oh man, it's it's like at least like thirty pages. I'm not gonna I, we can't read the whole thing. Because honestly, again, it is mostly the same kind of sentences, but I have highlighted a few a few key passages from the Witches of Endor. Mm-hmm. Um, to to distill out to us. So the first the first thing that first thing for when when uh Bill E Bill Ye Bill Ye Bill Ye Bill Ye. So in, in in the section called "What is a witch?" Uh, that Bil- is a good question. Bill Ye says a witch is a sorcerer. A witch is a Satanist. Witches worship ancient false gods and practice magic. Magic is the divinely forbidden black art of bringing about the results beyond the human power by use of evil spirits. And uh, including the devil and his demons, magic always brings Satan's diabolical power into play. So it's 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 really good. Um, she she goes on she goes on to to describe the practice of witchcraft using like occult formulations, incantations, magical mutterings, peeping, and chirping. No, it says it says chirping parenthesis criminal hypnosis parenthesis. Oh, okay, that's so, good. Chirping. That's is, what chirping is. I'm is glad cr- she clear up. That's what makes a good writer. Yeah. is when you 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 anticipate the questions. Chirping. Oh, What's chirping. Criminal, criminal hypnosis. hypnosis. Ah, now, yeah. That explains a great it. writer would have further explained is that. Hypnosis that is itself criminal. It doesn't. Is say. that is hypnosis on a criminal? No, no. It has, is it hypnosis that makes you criminal? No, no, it does not give you any indication. I know. What I know. Hypnosis Real is. mystery. Yeah. So, 
uh, she 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 basically rounds up all all different types of of kind of magic and occultism into this into this banner of witchcraft. Um, she says that there's there's no distinction to be made between witchcraft and sorcery, despite the erroneous claims that sorcery is diabolical and witchcraft is creative art. Both are diabolical and devilish. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I I do agree with her that I don't feel like there's a meaningful distinction between Not witchcraft really. and sorcery. Um, in that they're both things from 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 your the books that yep. you read as a kid, but yep. so um, the, the first thing she gets into in witchcraft, which I think is is, is, is is a weird intro, but I guess it makes sense from like a, her perspective, is demon possession. So this is the first this is, this is the first like technique that she gets into. Uh, demon demon possession is a result of which is of witchcraft incantation in diabolical witchcraft. The witch voluntarily invites the devil and his de- and his demon spirits, who are sometimes referred to as the goddess or god, of or, uh, or the host of a particular names of a particular uh, uh, deity for each society. However, there is a difference between demon possession through deliberate invocation than demon possession by demonic internal attack upon helpless and often unsuspecting suspects. Possession is often a common aftermath of certain ill- of certain forms of certain illnesses, such as strokes. Mm-hmm. So, oh okay. She says that the most the one of the easiest ways to figure out if you're possessed is if you have a stroke. Also, if you have if you have epilepsy or a coma, this is really yeah, the, the you know best my way. my 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 grandpa was pretty hard into demonology there at the end. I, jeez, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> And what, one of the fun things about this book, though, is that she really tries to hammer down on all of, like, the biblical examples of witchcraft, which there mm-hmm. is, like, a few. Yeah, it's, sure. Like, it's, it's the Bible. There's lots of yeah. wacky magic and so shit in she, it. So she really tries to convince, like, her Christian readers that witchcraft is a current problem to be worried with. Mm-hmm. Um, because she, she is she's kind of upset that people view it as, like, a fake thing. She's like, no, it's real. It's in the Bible. You yeah. have to be scared of it. Um, the God's word authenticates the reality of witchcraft. Therefore, it's not mere superstition. So a lot of a lot of this is her trying to her trying to uh, scare people into believing that witchcraft is actually is 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 a, is a is an ongoing problem. Yeah. Um. She she says that uh, the familiar spirits of witches spoken of in the Bible are referred to in folk history as dwarves, fairies, trolls. I, I don't know what this one is. What, what's what's this? What's this? Kobolds. Kobolds. You don't know what a kobold is, Garrison? No, I don't. Well, they're usually like a CR1 or less little monster, little bitty reptilian things okay. often found in dungeons. If you get a low-level party, you want to bring them up against... I mean, kobolds are one of the things that you could have them go up against. Personally, I have not, have not, have not encountered them I like in to get my a little weirder. games. Yeah, they're, they're little... little, little Little uh, lizard type but, type goblin things. Yeah, so those guys, dwarves, fairies, trolls, and other small spirits of mm-hmm. northern folklore, they can be friendly, mischievous, or malignant. In folklore, they were purported as nature spirits. This is the other thing she really hammers down on, is that if you like nature, that means that you're actually a Satanist. Okay, that, um, that scans. Which is pretty I, good. I, that, that does remind me of my in Explore Nature Hail Satan shirt, which is yeah. my favorite shirt. Yeah, that is, I mean, that, that, you do, that is a very good shirt. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. So she, she she traces back the origin of magic to the fall of man at the beginning of human history, as as said in the book of Genesis. Okay, is that where we got magic? That's what she says. Okay. Um, she she says so. Basically, the way she explains it is that you know, like magic, and this is something I actually kind of agree with. It's like magic is the idea of like that you are kind of on your way to become God in some way. Um, this is this now. Is wait, what, you believe that? 
All right, like, we don't need to get into this. In terms of, like, in terms of, like, chaos magic, it's, like, you're trying to, like, increase your own ability to have power over, like, your own life. And that's sure. kind of the idea. So what she says is that, basically, in the fall of, of Ge- in Genesis, when Eve tried to eat the, uh, tried to, uh, eat the food, fruit of the knowledge of, the, of good and evil, yeah, so this that, was her the, attempt the to, like, tree. this was her attempt to, like, gain godlike uh, power. Because God can see good and evil. At the time, man could only see good. So when Eve ate the fruit, she was trying to become like God. She was right? taking agency over her existence, right. which and, is and, magic. And, and her fact of eating the fruit evil. gave her the magic power to yeah. see good and evil, right? Which is what which we have now. So mm-hmm. this is how this is how she tracks back the origin of magic. She's a biblical. She's obviously because you know she's a conservative Baptist. She is a biblical literalist. She reads the, yeah. the the Garden of Eden as a literal historical tale, not as like a piece of poetry or art meant to like symbolize things in culture. Like it was obviously written as. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, that she, scans. There's a lot of a lot of misogyny in this book. Um, not specific, from Bill Yee. Sorry, even not the, from Doctor Bill Yee. Sorry, there is a lot. Spe- she she rails against feminism later on, That's and sense. there's a lot of hatred because like Eve was the one that ate the fruit, so yeah, it's the I woman's mean, fault. Like I, the woman is like the tempter of man. It's always their fault. And that's stuff. that's very well tread evangelical ground. Although it is extra fun when it's a woman who is hating on yeah, and, and also it's, it's easier because this, this whole chapter is about witches, and witches are typically feminine. Yeah, um, but she she does say that there's like wizards and warlocks, but she. She just kind of ropes them all together for the I, purpose I, of the book. I searched a second ago, and I couldn't find any evidence that she wrote books about Harry Potter. Hmm. So that's well, This was written in 2006. So it, yeah, she would have had And from what time. I've read, I have not seen Harry Potter mentioned in this so that's far. That's fascinating. Because, boy, that pissed off a lot of people who are otherwise very similar to her. Yeah, it sure did. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's see. She is She she is very concerned that... that Satanism and witchcraft is basically a re a reinvention of paganism, um, and she finds this to be incredibly disturbing and tying to a whole bunch of like all of like the woo woo spiritual stuff of the nineties. She's also very concerned about. She says millions are now involved in some manner of ancient magical practice and rites, ranging from walking on hot coals with no ill effect to poking knives through flesh without creating wounds to reading from blind eye sockets or from sighted eyes which have been masks to magically filling decayed teeth with gold, which. I don't know. Is that is that just dentistry? What is she referring to? Yeah, that seems like, like just um because just like filling a, a tooth. I have parents yeah. who have like gold fillings yep. and a stuff. Lot of, like a lot yeah, of people like... do. That doesn't um. That's witchcraft. witchcraft I don't think dentistry is, is witchcraft. Well, in a way that it it makes money disappear, but uh-huh. also it's I would I would compare most dentistry to more like armed robbery, but sure, I haven't had great dentist experiences. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big dentist. All fan dentists either. are bastards. Would be my contention. So yeah, she 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 says that basically the the sign of the of the new uptick in magic around at least is around 2006. This is right mm-hmm. after the satanic panic. The sign of the end times. Magic is the colossal revolt against God, whose satanic purpose is to instill in fallen man the desire to be a god. Do I say uh, cool? That sounds rad. Yeah, I mean that is that's also the Mormon faith. More or less. Um, I'm sure she has opinions about Mormons. Yeah, I'm sure We're she gonna does. get to her opinions on the Irish later. So. Oh good. Oh good. Oh fantastic. <laughs> yeah, she has a lot of opinions. I bet she's real, real punchy towards the papists. So uh, she does break down the difference that she she sees between black magic, white magic, and what she calls a neutral magic. Um, she says that the term black magic refers to the direct league with Satan himself, mm-hmm. often involving an actual blood pact of allegiance. So that she she thinks that the black magic is when you directly involve Satan. Okay. Um, 
and white magic is merely black magic in a mas- in a in, in, in a mask. It may, yeah. de- it may deceptively employ the names of Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit magically, along oh with other Bible I phrases. Think I see where the Irish and the in. Christian terminology, but this facade is covering its demonic character. Mm-hmm. So she thinks that uh, even though they may use. So this is interesting because like she she complains here that white magic uses the names of God and Jesus and uh, in its magic. But later on in, she, in the book, she complains that no magic uses God's name. So that's a fun thing that we'll talk about in a okay. bit. Okay. Um, and then and then for neutral magic, um, she says the devil shrouds himself with nature. He is referred to. He is. <laughs> oh boy, he's that. That's that's her take on Wicca, huh? <laughs> he is. He is revered as Mother Nature and worshipped and adored by witches under this deluding guise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the delusion of... <laughs> so, yeah. okay, in great. neutral magic, Satan just dresses up as leaves, and that's yeah. how... Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Wicca only gets one mention in this, actually. Yeah, but she's clearly like, that's what she's talking about. I mean, she there, talks about a lot of... like She she uses these terms very loosely. She, she's got a lot of gradients. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of gradients. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, she has a small section on magical ceremonies and symbolism and kind of actually lays out kind of how magic works in terms of like using like a, like like this is like symbolic objects and incantation and like calling upon powers, which is more like traditional magic. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I find it more fun to call on fake characters because it's very silly, which is more of a more of a chaos magic thing. Yeah, because um, the more silly you get, I think the more fun it is. Then we, she does have a nice section on um, initiation rites and rituals. Which gets into the the really good satanic panic stuff. So she 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 describes the uh, you know a coven of of witches coming together to uh, have sex with the devil. Um, usually, may, maybe uh, in like uh, symbolically with like a male leader of a cult or something. But she, then she says, when the initiation has been completed, the devil worshiper takes part in a parody of the sacrament many times, bringing in the bodies of children whom they, whom they, whom they have murdered. Oh, good. Yeah, Amer- that's the good shit. That's the good shit. In America alone, there are over one million missing children at any ah, given yeah, time. Yeah, many of these children who are never found or seen again are victims of satanically controlled perverts who do well, the grossest forms of evil. Of course. But many more are the victims of witchcraft and incantations and other rites. <laughs> Oh, that's great. These children who are being stolen at an astonishingly at an astonishing rate each mm-hmm. day may be stolen from unbelievers' homes, or they may be children conceived by the witches themselves at regularly held sexual orgies. Mm, yeah, the w- ch- witches are that that's an old one that witches are having orgy babies and like not reporting them to the and government so them, they can kill them. Sacrifice. Yeah, yeah the, the children offer, are often offered up as sacrifice to the devil. In some ceremonies, the witches may boil the children's bodies, mix them with loathsome substances, or they may consume the children's bodies in the blood ritual parody of the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. And I do like that this idea never went anywhere and is not a mo- and is not an important part of the U.S.'s politics now. No, 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 of course not. Nope. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you love so to hear it. That's pretty good. Uh-huh. That, is, that, is, that is fun. Yeah. She, she does have a small section on a pagan music, magic, religion, and sorcery are some of the means used by the devil for the purpose of luring men away from the Christian truth. Mm. The heavy metal, punk, hip-hop, and other such music invading the Western and European world are... Okay. Sorry. Yep. No. No. Yeah. I don't think uh, I have to say I, I do remember when punks this, destroyed this actually, Christianity. This actually gets quite more racist. I'm not even... Oh, no. Just, go for I'm it. Not, I, I'm ooh, excited. Boy. Its counterpart of of the hypnotic trance inducing inducing drum rhythms employed throughout the whole world by the African nations oh, and a part yeah. of India. Oh boy! 
<laughs> through the millions in which the insidious and evil message of the devil inciting them to sexual lust and Satan worship. It is incredible that in 2006 she's doing the black people music is the devil. And she is also like black, which is very sad. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, that's yeah, unfortunate. It's, uh, yeah, unfortunate would be a word for it. Yeah. Well, I, I, is, is, it, is it time for an ad break? I'm not looking at the clock. Yeah, it's probably about time for an ad break. Well, do you know what Speaking else is, of... Yeah, there we go. Ooh, oh boy. Uh-huh. Millions of missing children? Here's yeah, speaking of millions of missing children, yeah. maybe some of them are in these ads. We're back. Putting more children in the cauldron. Oh, oh we're recording. Sorry. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Anyway, back to, back to reading this magnificent 200-page book mm-hmm. by Dr. D- Did you read all of it, Garrison? I've read the first hundred pages because okay, after that's that, about all you need. It's yeah. just the same words rewritten again and again yeah, in different in different combinations. Like that's it's just how a lot of these. It's books just are. the same stuff. Yeah. Um. So the next section is. So this is this is. So I, I again, I'm I'm skipping over a lot of stuff, but this is like the rough. This is mm-hmm. the most fun sections of her stuff on magic, yeah, and which is what we need. Um. Now we have her section called Halloween, Satan's New Year. Um, she, she starts by explaining, witches celebrate eight major festivals, or sabbats, each year. Halloween is the primary annual festival commemorating Satan's New Year. Yeah. She then goes on to explain that the sabbat is a parody of the Holy Sabbath of God. Now, this is actually a really interesting kind of historical tidbit. So, yes, the word uh, sabbat uh, in terms of witches does come from, uh, does come from like, the Sabbath. Yeah, the but Shabbos and all that this, stuff, this, a bunch of words. This actually probably comes from... Uh, the persecution of witches being heavily tied to anti-Semitism yeah, in the that, Middle Ages. So the the first witch hunting book was called the Hammer of the Witches, mm-hmm. um, and it is basic, yeah the Malleus Maleficarum. Right? Yeah, yeah, and it is large port large portions of which are plagiarized from a previous book mm-hmm. called Hammer of the Jews. Ah, in, in there fact, we go. Entire sections are copy and pasted, but they just change the word Jews to Man, witch. And so, you really had to put the effort into plagiarism back then because you're hand you're hand doing that it. shit with you're not like, like drawings and. and no, you're doing the whole thing yourself. Yeah. So this is also where like a lot of like the pointy hat witch stuff, mm-hmm. a lot of like the big nose uh, with like 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 a really big nose, or green oily skin, like all this stuff kind of comes from anti-Semitic tropes mm-hmm. because uh, the persecution of Jews and anti-Semitism was heavily tied to the persecution of witches. Often yep. they're the same things. Witches. So when they would so then when they would do Sabbath. Uh, they would they would say like they're doing like a sabbat. They're mm-hmm. going to they're going to basically do like blood libel with children yep. with the devil, which is yep. which is which is what a lot of witches are about, like finding children and stuff because mm-hmm. it actually is tied to all the stuff. Now I'm not saying we have to cancel witchcraft. Witchcraft is totally fine. You can do all this stuff. It is really cool. But the or- a lot of the origins of witch hunting is tied to these anti anti-Semitic tropes. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, she she goes to describe different like pagan like festivals th- throughout the years. Um, with like like Yule and all this kind of stuff, Midsummer, blah 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 blah. And the last one, the eighth one, uh, is October thirty first or Halloween. Is the she calls the un the, the unholy satanic New Year. Um, she says that the, the rites and ceremonies in which Halloween was originally observed had their origin among the Druids. In the course of time, there were added to them some of the rites particular to the Roman festival of uh, Panama, which is which presided over the harvests November. First among the Druids was the beginning of the year and the festival of the sun god. They lighted fires in honor of their false god. They believed that October 31st, the end of the old year, mm-hmm. the Lord of Death, which she puts in a, a parenthesis, the devil. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, good. I'm really, I'm really, again, very appreciative of how, of how clear her writing is. 
So the Lord of Death gathered, gathered together all the souls of the dead who had been allowed to enter the body of another human being. The belief is that the root, th this belief is the root of the false belief in reincarnation. Now, I did not fact check, fact check any of this. So I have no idea how, how accurate these, these claims are for what she views as the origin of Halloween, but I think they're pretty funny. Mm -hmm. um, I know, like there is Halloween, like Halloween kind of traditions are, are, there is like stuff around this time throughout a lot of like old pagan stuff. But like the modern notion of Halloween is pretty pretty modern like the whole like trick-or-treating thing and the, all like the way we modernly think of halloween is pretty it's pretty new because i mean there there was of course like all hallows day or like all saints day and the eve of which uh, other people would do shenanigans uh, which is what we ca currently have as halloween because it's the day before all saints day all saints day is november 1st um but like you know the modern notion of halloween is not it's not super old so i'm not quite sure how tied these old harvest festivals really are to our modern Halloween. That's something I could look into later, but I just picked up this book and I'm reading right from it because that's easier. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so she views Halloween now as like a, as a pagan, it's a pagan holiday. Um, this pagan festival, Halloween is broadly celebrated throughout the Christian nations as a major holiday in America. Halloween has become a kind of Saturnalia for children. <laughs> <laughs> a night in which the rules are suspended and children venture out to demand treats and threaten reprisals against the stingy. Yeah, I, okay. I mean, that is a, a cooler way of looking at Halloween. That is a much cooler if way. If it were literally the Saturnalia, children would actually take the role of the parents and make decisions for the family and oh, demand. Man. Yeah, I mean, what a nightmare. Parents would have to go to school. Kids would have to go to work. That would be. That would actually funny. be an incredible holiday. That would be a great. That would be. Oh, a great I mean, holiday. so many people would die in plane crashes. It would be but pretty would funny, be, especially if you enforced it. Like you don't have a choice. Your dad's you have a pilot. to get on the plane. You're you are piloting the plane today. <laughs> And they a go, bunch of other go, kids are getting the, on it to go on work trips. And all the kids on air traffic control, they don't know what they're doing either. Forcing all of the soldiers out of the various countries we've put them in and having like the children of special forces guys conduct raids in Namibia. Well, it is pretty easy for a kid to use an AK. So I think I, it, is, it is, it is. The AR is even easier. Yeah, it, w it would be fine, I yeah. think. A lot of people are not going to have very successful heart surgeries that day, yeah. but it will be very funny in like a cosmic sense. Increasingly and alarmingly, this celebration is assuming dreadful expressions of evil and harmful acts are perpetuated against the children themselves in serious proportions. The treats are increasingly found to contain drugs, poisons, razor blades, needles, ground grass, okay. and many other harmful Maybe substances. Maybe she meant weed or something. Oh, yeah, I didn't even think of that. Because that's like needles and grass. Yeah, I'm like, I don't like okay. oh, <laughs> oh no, grass! Yeah. So yeah, she 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 does seem really 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 uh thrilled with this idea that the people are giving out free drugs. Which man, what a dream! I wish. Um, Halloween, like Christmas, is also highly commercialized and is part of a major money making event for the merchants. Mm -hmm. Okay, raking in at the uh, present time second only to Christmas in that vein. Halloween is the satanic new year and is a celebration of the devil and is, he is using the world today to gain greater acceptance of the perversity as he continues to proclamate his doctrine of demons. So that, that is fun. Um, then she has a very small section on old world Halloween traditions, which I'm not going to read tons of mm -hmm. because, again, I don't know how verified these things are. But I am gonna read. I like and she, she goes on to talk about like how like the laws against witchcraft in like the in the 1600s. And other, I'm sure she and, was and a big fan. Stuff. Um, she was, she was. Uh, but I do. I will read just the the first sentence of the old world Halloween traditions section. Irish traditions, devilish in origin. Yeah, 
Hear Irish. that, Irish? We're coming for you. Irish tradition. Bring it on. Devilish and origin. Various methods of defining the future in Halloween were accepted as tradition. So that, that's really all I'm going to mm-hmm. say. Because I just love the line, Irish traditions, devilish in origin. Yeah, I mean, that's. I think every Irish person I know would agree with that. That's really all you got to say. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, it is it is wow, what a what a book. It just mm-hmm. keeps going on. So she talks about like the uh, basically like uh, uh, the people's different honestly this section's not even tons about Halloween and more about different people's belief in witchcraft. So like mm-hmm. she goes through like all the laws against witchcraft in Britain. She goes against like she goes she she talks around the witch trials in America. Um, saying that yeah. there were witches, but she doesn't talk about all the like how many of them deserve to die. Be yeah. a, come on, you coward, yeah. Billy. Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty. She she has there's a little bit of. I, I, okay, I'm actually going to read some of the stuff on on on, on America. Mm-hmm. Belief in witchcraft was common to the early settlers in America. The witches were charged with making waxen images of their victims and causing their illnesses by sticking pins in the image or making. It, by sticking pins in the image or making them waste away by melting the images before the fire. This belief is held by the peoples of Africa, as well as other pagan people in, a, in, a, in, widely varying, uh, in, in widely varying civilizations and localities. The early settlers did not initiate this belief in America, but found it already to be belief in the American Indians who populated this country. Mm-hmm. So that, that's her little section on that, which is, uh, I don't know, hashtag problematic? Yeah, I would, I would call that slightly problematic. I would call it slightly problematic. You know what's not problematic, Garrison? The, the, the products and services that are going to hopefully sell no, candy to no. the kids? We, I don't know. we guarantee that less than a third of them are responsible for the disappearance of a million children. A million? Million children? Yeah, that's the behind the bastards guarantee. Less than a third of our sponsors who, who are responsible. Who knows how many are undocumented, too? Well, yeah. I mean, the witches we are making it's them possibly themselves. much more. It's likely much more. But anyway, here's the ads. Here's the ads. Ah, we're back. We are. All right. Bring it home, Garrison. Bring it home. So, yeah. Uh, she, she does mention that... The, the devil likes to withhold the fact of existence of witchcraft. She, he, like the, the, the devil likes to hide it, so most people kind of live in the dark. Um, she says, although the imps which frolic on Halloween now are small children, raping on doors and gleefully receiving treats. Rapping on doors. Rapping on doors. Not, not raping on doors. That's a very different, very different holiday. Well, who knows? That might be Canadian Thanksgiving. Yeah, is, I don't know. That's Canadian Halloween. Mm-hmm. The night witch was formally accepted as the time when witches met and demons in the form of ghosts and ghouls who were likely to wander about has come to be regarded as a time of merrymaking and frolic. The majority of people are so engaged and are unaware of the satanic consultation of the magic oracles in the covens and groves on this night. Covens. <laughs> covens? Covens. I, I say covens. That's not how you say it. Well, that's how I say it. <laughs> you just you just got COVID on the brain. Coven. I coven like... is what you call a coven that meets during COVID because they're not <laughs> properly socially distancing. All right. All Fine. right. There we go. But basically, she thinks that basically these all of the witches and magic doers are meeting all these ghouls in Halloween and mm-hmm. people trick-or-treating yep, are, you do are, are unaware of this. The ghouls she's, flooding she's very the streets. She's extremely concerned that children might like walk in on a ceremony and, and then get murdered. It is very funny when you realize like how isolated these people are from the real world because they've never just like stepped outside during Halloween. Not really. Like especially, I mean, Halloween in 2006. I was 18 then, so maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think there was wasn't huge then. Like no, it's, it's gotten kind of smaller the, every year. The biggest fear back then was like traffic accidents. Yeah, like that's always the biggest. That's yeah. like the number one thing every year. Yeah. 
thinking back on it, my parents shouldn't have let me be a ninja as often as they did, but <laughs> I made it through. Again, it's like we're again, we're saying so many of the same words again because that's what most yeah. of the book is. But Halloween, Satan's New Year, Halloween has a long and dark history of devilish traditions, which has survived both Christianity and the science for two thousand years, and is to be considered the chief festival for the worship of the devil, which begins his new year. Mm-hmm. Halloween and witchcraft are the means by which the devil seeks to reintroduce the worship of old false gods by synthesis of polytheism and feminism. Yeah. So that's what Halloween is. Yeah, polytheism um, and feminism. Yeah. Two sides of the same devil coin. <laughs> I love to worship multiple gods and respect women. Just really, that is, that's, my, that's my way to spend a night with my ghoul friends. Yeah. Incredible. There's also a, a real, here's a real, here's a real good quote. Um, there is no question of the existence of modern witchcraft. It has been admitted it has been admitted of by thousands upon thousands worldwide and growing rapidly in the Western mm-hmm. countries, particularly America. The word of God makes it undeniably clear that witchcraft is real. It mm-hmm. has existed at least six thousand years and it still exists today. Oh good. Yeah, that's good. Six thousand years going good. Uh-huh. Good for happy six thousand. I just like that. She had saw that it's a little, yeah. been around for only 6,000 Happy years. Happy 6,000 uh-huh. 6, years witchcraft. On I'm guessing because it's the because Devil's it, New Year, this is also the birthday of witchcraft. I mean, also just the birthday of the world. Because and, and the, if the uh, yep, world as we know it right. was, if the, worth <laughs> of, if the world as we know it was born when Eve ate the fruit and was in the, Adam and Eve went into the greater world, if that's like the birth of dawn, witchcraft's been here since the very beginning. Well, since the beginning of like the fallen world, because you have to assume that they had a hundred years or so beforehand. It's, it's real unclear. It, 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 this, yeah. it, the, it, the, it, the, it depends on, it depends on what <laughs> denomination you're in and mm-hmm. what kind of theological viewpoint you have on whether there were people outside the garden. There is people who mm-hmm. believe that. Some people just don't. Um, it, 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 that is up for debate among different congregations. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, and the other thing that she's really concerned with is that witchcraft is making more people have sex uh, because she, she thinks that most of witchcraft is uh, practicing sexual orgies on, quote, every continent of the world. Um, and that's what, that's, what, that, that's what black mass is to her. Okay. So she is, she is very concerned I mean, there's are, and sometimes in black masses, uh, sexual elements to them. That's I mean, I hope not. so. Yeah, that is that is, does sound much better. But she she thinks that that's another one of the main catalysts of her being fearful of of, of paganism and witchcraft is that is making more people have sex. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, again, she reiterates that this is just an, a new form of paganism, saying that Satan's current day revival of paganism is a sure sign of Christ's second coming. Mm-hmm. And it's it's pretty good. And oh, yeah, this this is the section where she where she complains that magic doesn't use the Bible, even though previously she said that white magic does. Mm-hmm. Says that some mag- some witches draw on other false religions, such as the Kabbalah, uh, Sufism, or various Eastern religions, but never the Holy Bible, the Word of God, or is employed in their beliefs or practices, except in a paradoxical counterfeit imaginative magic rites and rituals performed in the in the covens. Or covens. covens. In the initiation of the converts and their celebrations of Halloween and other satanic sabbats, so that's that's that, that's what she thinks. I mean, but I honestly, like, it might be Sabbath, but I I I'm pretty sure it's, it's, all, it's all like the it's Shabbos. It's the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. Sabbath I don't. Whatever. I've I think I've, it's fine. I've I've heard Coven and Sabbat in the stuff all right, that I've all watched. Right, all right. All right. So, all right. All right. Let's have let's have a debate. Everyone. Mm-hmm. Everyone at no. Don't don't mm-hmm. do that. Um, she also claims that this, this is this is this is very exciting. Several universities in America offer a, a bachelor's degree in magic, which oh. I was unaware of. Oh, I would love a bachelor's I was degree in magic. Unaware of oh, this? Oh, wow, man! Because this will re- now, this will this will make me consider going to college. Now, a bachelor's degree is that a a BA 
or is that a BS? I like is that a, like is it a Bachelor of Arts or of Science? It really that's a that's a key question magic, about how the school magic, views magic. Magic is both an art and a science. So yeah, well, that's why I'm wondering. And she doesn't say. Uh, she doesn't say what university she claims I, does this. I mean, I've always wanted to open a witchcraft store, so I may Me go too. back this has to been college one of my dreams. and get a BA in or a BS in witchcraft along with my MFA. Or not my MFA, my um, what's the business thing? Uh, what, are they, what are they? I don't, I don't know. I don't fill it in college. with the acronym for the business degree, whatever you get. I don't know. We, I dropped out of college. Garrison hasn't gone. Yeah, I went. I went to film school. That doesn't count, though. No, it doesn't. Um, it absolutely does not. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then in, in this last section, she really ties modern witchcraft to the rise of feminism. Um, specifically starting in the 60s. She says the, the preeminence of the goddess in witchcraft has made it attractive to some feminists. In 1968, Witch, the Women's International Terrorist Conspiracy from Hell, oh, was great. founded as a political protest. Incredible acronym. Great acronym. Yeah. Amazing. Was founded as a political protest group who, 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 who purportedly justified their name as mere jest. Oh, it is. What a, what a good name. Yeah. Witch, I, the I, Women's International that's Terrorist Conspiracy quite an exciting... Quite an exciting uh, acronym. Back when we could have fun in activism. That does sound amazing. Many of the members of this feminist movement are unaware of the cultural movement within the political, and many are are more and and, and many more are entirely unaware of the spiritualist movement within the cultural moment. So a whole bunch of weird stuff around how witches are using political feminism to inject cultural feminism, to inject cultural witchcraft into the mainstream. This is all what the goal of feminism is. Um, so yeah, and she has this whole, a whole pair of called feminist, feminist witches, feminist witchcraft is, is at present the most rapidly growing segment in the witchcraft revival. And it is from the spiritualist core at the heart of the feminist movement that, that the political and philosophical women's rights tenants as a whole emerge to name what, to name one such tenant, the right to abortion or more correctly phrased, the might, the right to murder children not yet born. This this coincides with the witch's present ritual practice of murdering children already born. So she oh, thinks good. that abortion yeah. is just a way for witches to We're just speed get, up the just process. Just killing more babies to, to, to immanentize the, the eschaton. To speed yeah. up the ritual process. Yeah. yeah. That that is what that is her that that's her main bomb at the for end. For sure. That sounds that sounds accurate. Yeah. Um she does just, just have a great section describing the different tools which is used. Um, and, and, uh, <laughs> an athleme, a phallic penis symbol of the liberated, unbridled, unlawful sex represents the power of self-will. It's pretty, pretty good. That is good. Yeah. Sexual symbols are common in witchcraft, and witches are un unrepressed by God's moral law in their sexuality. Their use of sex symbols is rooted in paganism. So again, she's very scared that people are having sex and enjoying it. Specifically women. She's very scared that women are yeah, having sex and that, enjoying that it. That sounds right. I mean, I hate it when the people pushing this line are themselves women, but it does, I mean, that's a huge part of the evangelical propaganda movement. Yeah. Uh, see, a bunch of shit Margaret Atwood wrote, you know? She, now she gets to describe some, some of the coolest parts here. Mm -hmm. A typical witch's Sabbath celebration will have a sky-clad, parenthesis, nude, parenthesis, witches gathered in an isolated place, a grove of trees if possible, around an altar which holds an icon or statuary of a false goddess and or gods, and candles for fire, a chalice for water or wine, a container of salt, and a, a container for earth rather than the bread. 
and a sword or a wand, which sounds amazing to yeah. just have a whole bunch of naked witches in the forest around a ritual altar fire. This mm-hmm. sounds like the best best time ever. It does sound like a good Saturday night. This does sound like a good Saturday oh, night. Maybe even a Friday. Who knows? We could we could, we can get wild. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she she goes in to describe what she thinks magical rit- rituals are and different things that she could do. Again, she is very concerned. Um, ritual sex is engaged in to intensify the magical power raised yeah, in the is. cone of power yeah, through the combined wills of the coven witches. The cone, of, cone power of power is symbolized with a cone-shaped hat seen in typical pictures of witches in literature are and paintings. Are you fucking kidding me? Oh. Are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? It's right me? there. It's in the book. Because nobody wearing one of those hats has ever gotten fucked. I feel confident. Hey, that. I wore that hat. All right, let's uh, let's move forward, Garrison. <laughs> That's not fair. Allegedly. Let's move forward. The cone of power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the cone of power is uh is is incredible. After raising and it re- is phallic, so it must be for fucking. After the raising and release of the cone of power, a ritual coven communication with cakes and wine, which the priestess or priest has consecrated by dipping into the chalice and touching the cakes with other unholy tools, are passed on from a kiss from the priestess to the priest. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, this just sounds like a fun time. Um, yeah, but I, I do love uh, the cone of power, which yeah. I've not read in any other magic book. No, I have um, not ever heard of that. I, I've read that a decent seems amount. Like pure her, and I've never heard of the cone of power. Yeah, that feels like pure her. That feels like somebody who's deeply sexually frustrated seeing a hat that's kind of shaped like a dick and being like, that's gotta be a penis. Oh, poor lady. Uh, I'm so sorry for her. Then she she has a small section on Satanism, particularly like the Ayn Rand version of Satanism. Sure. So I'm not even gonna get into that. I find that boring and it doesn't matter. And and, and, and she even says that these Satanists don't believe in an actual devil. Oh, good. Okay, well that's actually a little bit more nuanced. They just use Satan and Lucifer as a personification of evil. So I'm not even gonna bother with this section Mm -hmm. because it's just talking about the dumb Ayn Rand version of Satanism and I don't care Mm -hmm. about that. Yeah. Um, if you like it, I mean, whatever. It has anarchist can... stuff, kind of, but it's also very Randian, and it has it has yeah. a lot of like not great stuff either. I don't. I. I. It's fine. It, yeah, it all. It all is more effort than I want to put into thinking about yep. the universe. And then um, I think I think this this could be. I think this is our last our last paragraph. Here we oh, go. Oh good. Oh good. This, this section is called titled "The End of the Witches." Oh no. Witches are children of the devil. The end of the witches. <laughs> Mm-hmm. The end of Come the on, witches' reverie before their idolatrous altars at their depraved sabbats, where they eat and drink and play their gross music and sing and dance naked and shameless <laughs> and corrupt and defile themselves and desecrate God's holy Sabbath shall surely be accomplished by God, who will put them to <laughs> who will put them to death and cut off their souls forever. Yeah, <laughs> from among his children. <laughs> so that's. <sighs> Great. That's the end of the witches, everybody. Yeah. We're gonna be dancing naked shamelessly. Like having like an undeniably good time, being able to dance naked it in a group like without a great shame, time. Yeah. listening to gross music and singing. What a time. Sounds like the ideal weekend. And then and then God will put us to death. And I mean, I mean that does that sound is, a little bit like our last weekend, but it was very cold, so people were wearing it was lots too cold. of clothing. Yeah. I so, was very happy with the weather. But. That is that is that is most of that is most of the good parts of the book. Right. Again, it gets two hundred pages. Yeah, no, um, it's a nice breezy read. Uh, grab it, you know, this weekend. <laughs> it's only ten bucks on Amazon. Wow, um, what a deal! What a steal! Yeah, and it, it is fun that she she does. Um, there is one there is one section where she like outlines what all she thinks like magic is like all like all of like the different groups 
Um, she puts them into a really nice little package, but I, I, I don't think I can find that because again, there's 200 pages, and I did not mark off that section. But I think I think we decently got the gist of the the main main parts of this book. Um, again, most of it is just her talking about Jesus. Yeah, that sounds right. And 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 the Christian soul. Um, but the one which which is of indoor section is pretty good and honestly worth the read. So well, I that is my first book report of her. It could happen here. All of you, on Satan's New Year, beloved children enjoyed this 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 book and are are properly warned about the dangers of witchcraft mm-hmm. which is coming to make your children have a pretty rad time you're going to dance in the woods yeah. listening to gross music so i hope everyone on this halloween danced in the woods listening to gross music i hope those of you who climactically could did so naked um i hope none of you got hit by cars while dressed as ninjas and i I also hope that most of you weren't out trick-or-treating because I think the average age of our listeners is sometime in the mid-20s. And yeah. That, that would be a little bit that's, odd. That's a little awkward. A little bit weird. But hey, whatever. It's your life. Do your thing. You know, do your thing. Hello, everyone. Garrison here. Just going to be adding in one quick correction for our uh, Halloween Satan's New Year episode. So towards the end, we made some assumptions about the the cone of power, which were apparently uh, incorrect. So the cone of power does actually seem to be a thing inside ritual magic, um, but uh, particularly Wicca. So I'm I'm not super familiar with Wicca. This is not this is not my system of choice. So I was unaware that this is actually a thing, but apparently apparently it is. It is it is a method for centering or directing or like raising energy. Um, what it is it is less tied to the witch's hat though. So that part is. Is, is more um, made up because I, I cannot find much uh, tying the cone of power directly to like the cone shape, which is hats. This is mainly an invention of 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 Doctor Billy, from at least from from what I can tell. But uh, apologies for assuming that the cone of power was completely made up, and when in fact it is a part of Wicca. So, so, so sorry to the Wiccans and the more proper witches for that for that uh, for that gross assumption on mine and Robert's part. Anyway, this wraps up our spooky week of content. I uh, hope you had a good Halloween. Uh, This episode should be releasing on Halloween itself. So I I hope you are having or had a good time. And hopefully you were able to celebrate Halloween uh, Satan style just like it was designed to. So goodbye, everybody. Uh, See you on the other side. And hopefully we can do spooky week again next year. Goodbye. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. 
BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just 348 With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. Welcome to It Could Happen Here, a podcast about, well, mostly it's about how things are bad, but it is also sometimes about what you can do about it. And today we have two people who are, in fact, doing things about it. So with me, we have Abrar and Janine, who are part of the Common Humanity Collective, which is a, a, a mutual aid group out of California. Um, hello, Janine. Hello, Abrar. How, how, how are you two doing today? Doing well, thank you. Doing pretty good. Thank you. So, yeah, we wanted to have you two on to talk about basically your mutual aid work and then also the sort of political aspect of that, because I know that's something you two have been wanting to talk about, that I've read the media coverage of it, and it does not ever make it into the interviews. So, yeah, and I guess I guess to start, so you two started doing mutual aid stuff with, with this group specifically around the beginning of the pandemic, as I understand it, Do you know, what, can you walk us through how it started and what you guys were up to? Absolutely. And I think it's interesting to trace out the different stages of this work because it's very much been a kind of evolution. So let me go back to the very, very early days. And this is really the first day of lockdown um, in the Bay area where we live. I'm a PhD student at UC Berkeley. And um, as COVID was spreading from the East Coast to the West, we knew that things would quickly get shut down in California. Um, And uh, there was someone in my lab, a good friend named uh, Yvonne, and she and I uh, just quickly realized that uh, this pandemic was going to hit, um, given the sort of crumbling public health infrastructure, uh, the poorest among us, the elderly, the dispossessed, um, these people would be vulnerable. And as PPE just completely disappeared from store shelves, these people, um, especially those living in cramped housing conditions, those with uh, essential work, uh, those in nursing homes just would not have access to um, the tools they needed to protect themselves from this disease. 
Um, and in the very early days, when we thought that the stuff was transmitted via surfaces, um, all of the attention was focused on hand washing, hand sanitizer. The problem was you couldn't even find hand sanitizer anywhere. Yep. So here we were in our labs and, um, you know, our fumes weren't being used and everyone was getting sent home. Um, and, uh, we realized that we could, uh, pull ethanol from the scientific, reagent supply chains and stir up some hand sanitizer ourselves in lab and uh, distribute it um, just to homeless shelters, to people who needed it in the city, et cetera. Um, so this began as a very sort of low-key, quiet, under-the-cover <laughs> um, <laughs> effort. And, um, you know, we didn't have a name. We didn't even know what mutual aid was. I think we were just following our basic instincts. Um, and fast forward a week or two, and uh, suddenly a whole lot of people got involved. Um, we had this elaborate uh, distribution infrastructure, which started sort of self-assembling. Um, lots of people came to find ways of getting the sanitizer to everyone who needed it. Uh, in the meantime, we realized that as the demand was enormous, we needed to come up with ways of procuring the supplies um, and mixing it at scale so that we didn't have to turn anyone down. So we called upon lots of different labs on campus and asked them if they could do this, if they could shift some of their discretionary funds towards getting these chemicals. Um, and, you know, uh, again, within a few weeks after that, uh, we were mixing hundreds of gallons of hand wow. sanitizer and delivering it to absolutely everyone who needed it. My phone was just getting uh, called nonstop from the moment I woke up to when I went to sleep. I, I was forgetting to eat. I was barely sleeping, um, just responding to these cries for help from all over the Bay Area. Um, and in that time, we met so many people um, and we figured out how to do this work efficiently and effectively. Uh, but also, um, as the attention shifted from surface transmission to aerosol transmission, um, everyone started realizing that, in fact, masks were probably the primary way in which we protect ourselves from uh, the coronavirus. Um, and that's when a good friend of ours, uh, Chris, who was a PhD student then, he's now a postdoc, brilliant, brilliant creative guy, came up with ways of actually making submicron masks out of just uh, supply chains that weren't getting tapped. Um, so initially these were uh, shop towels, and then he started looking at nanofiber material. Um, and he found ways of, for around 60 cents, making a mask wow. that was basically the quality of an N95 mask that could be made in just a few minutes at home. Um, and so we suddenly just integrated that whole effort into our own and started just recruiting volunteers, sharing all of our resources and um, this large assembly network of these little pods situated all across the Bay Area, each of them with a team lead with a little army, a battalion of assembly volunteers and dedicated drivers. We're just making thousands of these masks every week, which we were then distributing through the distribution infrastructure that we had uh, sort of uh, put together earlier on in the pandemic. And so we found ourselves, and this was still very much at a time when you couldn't even find cloth masks or surgical yep. masks in shops. We found ourselves astonishingly being the primary source of this essential PBE for tens and tens of thousands of people in the Bay Area. And as we recovered in the early days by the Chronicle and the LA Times, loads of people started 
joining the volunteer network, we started getting donations. And uh, that was the earlier stage of uh, what we did. And I'll pass it on to Janine to talk about the, what we did next. Yeah, so kind of as um, Common Humanity Collective was working on this project, um, Abrar, myself, and a couple other folks started adopting kind of a Democratic Socialist of America or East Bay DSA side of what was happening. Um, and through this project, our intent was to um, have a little bit more political education and think really critically about how we could make this true mutual aid, uh, which Abrar and I have learned is really, really difficult to do, especially <laughs> under yeah. capitalism. Um, and so because we started this project around December, so kind of the height of the pandemic, we wanted to make it accessible for people who were really COVID cautious. Um, and so we would assemble kits of masks in a park with a couple folks outside. And then we would drive these kits to people's homes and get on Zoom. Um, and we would have a breakout room for people to learn how to make masks. Um, people, oftentimes people who had only come to the build a couple times started teaching new folks how to build these masks. And in the other room, we were doing readings. Um, we were reading you know, Panacook and Jane McAleese side <laughs> by side talking about, you know, trade unions and solidarity unionism. We were reading about tenant organizing. Um, Abra, do you want to talk about Rosa Luxemburg a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it was an amazing thing. We were um, trying to sort of expand our own political consciousness. And we did things like host a three-part series, just discussing, examining, analyzing uh, the political theory of Rosa Luxemburg. Um, and we had huge participation. And this was at a time where in our DSA chapter um, and many of the different committees, people were panicking because no one was showing up. Um, and yet we found an enormous number of people joining our effort in these discussions were so energetic and so enthusiastic. Um, and, you know, this was a lonely time. It was a difficult time and people seemed to find something in what we were doing. What, what do you think about that, Jimmy? Yeah, and I think, you know, not only were people coming and participating, right? We had high school students, we had people who oh. had dedicated the pandemic to reading political theory, right? And so you have this huge breadth of knowledge. We have hmm. more liberal people joining. We have like anarchists and communists, <laughs> right? Like all in this space that are actually talking together. And what was so empowering to me was, everyone felt like they could speak. We had people that were really introverted, um, that in the beginning didn't talk at all, slowly start to open up. We had high schoolers asking really incredible questions, right? Like, is revolution even possible right now? Um, and kind of getting into some of this. And I think one of the most impactful things was that we had these calls from seven to nine at night. And after that, we had what we called late night, where folks would stay on till like 12 at night wow. and talk to each other. And in this time of like isolation and depression, I don't think anyone that I know at least was having a good time in December, January, February, right? People were coming together on Zoom and actually staying on Zoom after <laughs> what we were doing to feel some type of camaraderie, to feel like they were part of a community. Um, and we were able to actually create that space. And I think that that was something that to me was really incredible. Um, and I think, you know, framing this also from the George Floyd protests that happened over the summer and thinking, you know, more about abolition, right? Thinking more about community building. I don't think you can truly, or I can't imagine a future without the prison industrial complex that doesn't involve communities of care, that doesn't involve giving people both the resources and the like love that they need to be able to not be pushed into situations where they have to commit crimes and also having accountability amongst each other. 
Um, not to mention, right, this work is really, really hard. People burn out. Yep. Like we are exhausted to be able to create a space where everyone cares for each other, where we're checking in with each other, where, you know, in the beginning of this virtual mask builds, I think, you know, Abrar, myself and a couple other folks were doing the majority of the work. And by the end, we were doing none of it. We had like been able to reallocate those tasks. We had been able to develop leaders and we had essentially organized ourselves out of a job, which to me is like the yeah. organizer's dream, right? Yep. Like that's what you really want to ha see happen. Um, and so that's kind of what was happening on the production side of the mask builds. On the distribution side, again, we we're thinking, how can we actually make this true mutual aid? Um, and so we started to partner with Tank, Tenant and Neighborhood Councils, which is one of the main tenant groups in the Bay Area, um, and working with them to go to food banks, right, places where people are generally low income, where they might not be able to have the resources to get masks. And we're distributing masks, asking them, are you having trouble with your rent or your landlord, right? The goal in this is to give people the tools to organize around issues that are deeply pertinent and urgent to them, especially with an impending eviction moratorium, right? And so um, we learned a lot through this. We went to a lot of different food banks. We found, um, you know, some of them were places where people primarily spoke Cantonese and Mandarin. And so we, you know, used our networks, again, that we had created through this project, these relationships of trust to find people that spoke uh, Mandarin and were willing to come out um, and talk with folks. Um, we found people that spoke Spanish that were willing to come out and talk with folks. And we started to develop relationships at these food banks where we were able to distribute masks to people, talk to them, understand what issues they were having, um, and invite them to come to meetings where they could actually get the resources to try and tackle some of these issues that they're facing. Abraj, you have more to add on the mask project? Yeah, I think it's worth saying that um, we're all very busy. I'm a PhD student. While we were doing this work, um, you know, in DSA, I was teaching a class and I was doing research. Janine is a extremely busy union organizer. Um, and normally, you know, we'd come home after work and be absolutely exhausted. Um, and this was very tiring, but we felt somehow energized. We felt driven to do this. And we found that lots of the other people who participated were also busy with their jobs and yet would make time to do this. And um, in terms of our actual practice, in terms of trying to develop the political dimension of the distribution aspect of our mutual aid, there was a constant interplay between what we were reading and what we were practicing. So as we began working with this radical tenant organizing group, Tank, that Janine mentioned, whose aim is to give tenants the tools to form tenant councils and tenant unions in order to uh, use tools such as rent strikes to rebalance power between themselves and their landlords or real estate companies, et cetera. Um, during that time, during our mask builds, we would then go and read articles and newspaper clippings from, you know, early 20th century when there were examples of, you know, 20-year-old factory girls in lower Manhattan organizing uh, groups of apartment buildings to go on rent strike, you know, 10,000 families in one case to go on rent strike. These incredible, deeply inspiring stories um, where people uh, suddenly became uh, subjects of history and not merely objects. And I think part of what sustained our own work in this group was some uh, similar feeling. And um, at the same time, when we were trying to imagine a future beyond capitalism, 
we were looking at moments when that future seemed within reach. And so we were studying, for example, Paris in 1968, which is a moment within many people's living memory, although not our own, um, and studying how it was that these protests began with the student movement and then spilled out into these massive strikes and all the sort of self-activity that emerged from that. And there was such a wide, wide, breadth of people who came to these builds. There were people as young as high schoolers. There were also much older people in their 70s and 80s. And when we were having this discussion, someone who uh, lived through the 60s and witnessed (laughs) these things very up close came to talk about Paris in 1968 and shared the wealth of his own experience. And again, all of this was driving what we were actually doing with our hands, what we were doing on the streets, what we were doing at these food bank lines. Um, And so it was very critical that everything we were reading was somehow feeding into our practice. Yeah. And I think, you know, we had over 100 people participate in these mask builds. And I think one of the things that I really took away from this is, again, people were craving that community. They were craving relationships and people came back because they felt that in this group. Um, And that translated also as we transitioned. Right. We had built a culture of friendship and of caring for each other, that people wanted to continue working on this. They wanted to continue to be a part of this project as we transitioned um, to building air purifiers, right? As the, um, you know, vaccines became more prevalent, uh, masks were still being worn, but to a lesser degree. um, And we started turning to fire season um, as these disasters, right, continued to strike, especially with climate change only getting worse and worse. One of the things that I think is really powerful about mutual aid and is really powerful about communities is that these disasters have been happening and continue to happen at a greater and greater frequency. And I think what I've learned from looking at, you know, the heat waves that recently took many lives across um, the Pacific Northwest, the um, really, really freezing temperatures that happened in Texas about a year ago, and especially COVID, is that you know, the government, local or federal, is not stepping in to help people. Billionaires are not really stepping in to help people. It's really only communities and networks of relationships that are keeping people alive. And the only way, you know, that we're going to get through this is through having those relationships, through understanding where people need support. And we started to do this with the distribution of masks, right, is build relationships with community members in you know Fruitvale in Oakland, which is not a large, not a place that many people from DSA or from Tank are living currently, right? And starting to build relationships with people that do need these resources in times of crisis, um, so that we know where we can plug in, and also build relationships amongst our fellow organizers, so that we can support each other through these disasters. Um, and so as we transitioned to the air purifiers, we started, you know, thinking about everything we had learned from the mask project and kind of making that even bigger and better. And how can we, you know, continue to take what we've learned and change it and turn it into something really, really incredible. And um, we, you know, Chris, who Abrar mentioned before, who came up with the masks, came up with a really incredible way to make air purifiers that's in, like ridiculously efficient um, is really, really useful, um, especially for wildfire smoke, but also for just people with asthma. There's a lot of environmental pollution in the Bay Area, right? These things can be used um, year round. 
And we began to build these air purifiers out of, you know, box fans and HEPA filters um, with a shroud, with weather stripping, right, to make the air like only go through the fan to make it extremely efficient and um, started to think about how can we make this like community aspect even bigger? At least this is what I was thinking of, because I had started to realize, right, I think the only thing that we can rely on is each other right now, especially um, and so we started bringing in a bunch of different groups to come to these builds. So we have, you know, East Bay DSA. We started working really closely with Sunrise and developed a level of trust and reciprocity in that relationship that has, you know, continued to be really beneficial to us um, and really helpful. We met amazing people that came out. You know, they've helped fundraise for us as our funding has gotten really, really low because these air purifiers are not um, cheap, though they're much cheaper yeah. than commercially available, but we're, you know, giving them to folks for free because we want this to be mutual aid. Um, and so working with Sunrise, we're working with Asians for Black Lives, um, Berkeley Mutual Aid, Mask Oakland, um, who both came out to our builds, but also helped us distribute air purifiers to Reno and to places that had, you know, AQIs of 500, right? Jesus. When fire season was so bad, when the smoke there was just like, unlivable, um, we were able to work with them to distribute um, these air purifiers where people really needed them most. Um, we were able to, you know, continue to work with Tank. Um, some folks from the IWW came out. Uh, we were able to distribute these air purifiers to the Segorate Land Trust, which is um, a land trust that is run by Indigenous women um, and is working on essentially giving um, Indigenous land back to Indigenous people. Uh, we were able to distribute with Critical Resistance, an amazing abolitionist group started by Ruth Wilson Gilmore and Angela Davis in Oakland. We were able to distribute um, to SRO, um, a group that is working with um, low-income Chinese immigrants in San Francisco who are generally living in single-family homes, right, with really bad air quality. Um, and work with like all of these different groups, you know, Berkeley Mutual Aid, we're pulling in people from just countless networks to come and build air purifiers together. Um, and we had, you know, an ex-Black Panther talking to someone from Sunrise from San Francisco, right? Like these just wild connections um, that are happening at these builds of people who are deeply political and people who are barely understanding, um, you know, what socialism means, but are wanting to come out and do something for their community. Um, and through these like relationships and networks, again, like we're able to hang out after the builds, people are able to like enjoy themselves. Everyone said they were having a really fun time, even though we were like literally doing work on a Saturday. Um, <laughs> people were still like, this is so fun. We had, you know, people baking bread and like fruit tarts and cheesecakes and bringing it. Uh, <laughs> we had pizza, we had music. It was like a very fun atmosphere and environment. And despite the fact that, you know, it was physical labor and it was taxing. And a lot of times it was on hot days. Um, people stayed for, you know, four hours to help do this and to do this work because they cared, because they wanted to see, um, you know, what they could be able to do. And they also, I think, started to build relationships. Um, I know, you know, countless people talked to Abrar and I and had no idea, you know, we've known each other for less than a year now. Um, and they thought we'd known each other our whole lives. And I think wow. that, that really speaks, <laughs> right. I think that speaks so much to the relationships that we've been able to build through this. And, you know, I think Abrar and I have met countless people and have developed like an incredible community through this work. Um, 
that definitely helps me keep going. I would definitely not be able to continue <laughs> to do this work if I couldn't, you know, call a bra up at 9 p.m. and we talk for three hours and we complain, but we also talk through like, what are we doing and how can it be better? And how can we, you know, get through this roadblock? Um, and I saw that in countless places um, as we moved to our own distribution. So we were partnering with these organizations, but we were also doing our own distribution, um, which I think is like a huge experiment in how to actually do mutual aid, which um, is something that, you know, when we talked to the organizers in our circles, we weren't finding answers to. And so we kind of realized, like, we just have to kind of try and figure this out. But we would go out and do these distributions and afterwards, you know, have lunch with people and talk to each other. Like, what are, could we do better? What are we doing wrong? Is this mutual aid? Like, these are questions we're having right after we've been standing in the sun talking to people for three hours. Like, the dedication of the people involved in this, like Abrar said, most of us are working 40, 50, 60 hour weeks, and yet we're yep. dedicating constant time during the week and at least one day every weekend to either distribution or a build. Um is incredible. I feel like incredibly honored to be able to work with the people that we've been working with. Um, but in our distribution, we started thinking about, you know, how can we invite some of these people to come to our builds? Maybe that's the reciprocity. I think true mutual aid is really about believing that the people that we're distributing to can also give back to us rather than seeing them as like helpless. Um, and so we continue to do some of our distributions with Tank. Um, and actually, we were able to do some of these distributions in a way that helped new buildings who are just starting to form tenant councils, um, you know, use the air purifiers as a way to open up conversation with some of these people and say, hey, your building is being organized. Remember how bad the fire season was last <laughs> year, right? Like, this is something that you can use. And let's talk more about other tools that we can use coming together to really fight for changes that we can't necessarily make on our own. Um, so that was happening. And then we also decided to look at data around where in Oakland are asthma rates really high, where in Oakland is air pollution really bad, and where in Oakland is it primarily lower income folks, right? We want to be giving these air purifiers to people who can't generally afford a hundred to two hundred dollar air purifier. Um, and so East Oakland was one of those places. And again, through this network that we had built through the mask builds, we had a connection in East Oakland, someone that had um, that is part of East Bay DSA, right, that had done a lot of community organizing and someone that was actually able to, you know, send out an email to her um, neighborhood and say, hey, we have air purifiers. And so we had people posting up at her house. Um, so, you know, we were coming into a neighborhood that was not our own, which in some ways, um, you know, there's a lot of complications to that. Um, but we were also able to do it at someone's house that we knew. Um, and our goal in this was to get people to come to our builds to make air purifiers for themselves and for their family, their community, their friends, so that we then don't have to go into those neighborhoods, right? So that they can then start to own that distribution and own this project and like feel an autonomy over it. Um, and so we also kind of door knocked around the neighborhood, talking to people about the air purifiers, about wildfire smoke, um, about coming out to a build, you know, about why this is really important, um, why we need people to engage in this project. Um, and we distributed almost 100 air purifiers that day, I think, um, wow. to folks in that community. And after that, that week, um, so we distributed on Sunday, and then um, a week later on Saturday, we would have a build. So within that week, right, we're calling everyone that we distributed to saying, hey, how is your air purifier working? can you come out to a build? It's really, really valuable that you come out to a build so that you can make sure that your community has clean air to breathe, especially during fire season. 
Um, and through these calls, right, I talked to someone who lived in East Oakland for an hour. Um, and this person just started opening up and was so touched that we had done this and basically said, you know, no one has ever cared for my community like this. No one has ever even thought about us. Right. And you see, like, there are nonprofits, right? California was giving out um, air purifiers to certain people. Like, it, there's a semblance of the structure. And yet, we were actually interfacing with these people who seem to have no idea that any of this was happening, right? They're saying, you know, no one else has been able to do this. Um, and we're starting to form relationships and develop connections in these neighborhoods and make people feel cared for and follow up. Um, and despite all of this work, right, no one shows up to our build that week. Um, and I think O'Brien and I both felt pretty defeated, right? Like, is mutually possible? <laughs> what are we doing wrong? <laughs> Clearly, like, class and racial barriers are really hard to overcome in this. Um, and, you know, we were talking to um, our ex Black Panther friend that has continued to be a huge part of this project. And he was like, you're, you know, you have to keep trying, you're doing the right things. And so we went to West Oakland, um, again, where we had a connection from our mask project that um, helped us set up in front of this corner next to um, a vegan cafe that serves uh, trans POC for free um, and has really wonderful food. We were able to talk with them, give them air purifiers. They allowed us to um, kind of set up shop in front of their uh, store. And there's also like a liquor store on this corner. It's like a very busy corner in West Oakland um, and kind of did the same thing. We we're handing out air purifiers, talking to people about the build, talking to people about um, you know, why this is important. And we're also door knocking in the neighborhood, talking to folks um, at their homes, um, asking people, you know, who needs an air purifier, right? Like these communities generally know each other really well. And we're able to talk to people who are like, oh my gosh, you know, like my aunt lives over there and her kid has asthma and like, you should go talk with her. Um, and so we start to develop these connections and kind of map out the neighborhood. And, um, you know, again, we're following up, we're talking to these people on the phone, we're asking them to come out to the build. And uh, we went out to this neighborhood again. So the second time we went out, um, I started to recognize people, right? And I started to be able to talk with people. And um, through, I was kind of like door knocking um, while people were posted up by the liquor store in this vegan cafe. And uh, there was like a church service going on. And I recognized one of the people there and he recognized me and we were able to talk. And he was really grateful for the work that we were doing. And he started calling his friends over and being like, <laughs> hey, you know, do you all need an air purifier? Remember how bad fire season was last year? And also like, we should all go to this build next time. Um, you know, we should actually be showing up and helping out. Um, and word spread so quickly. Like <laughs> these communities are so deeply connected, yep. um, at least from what I've like witnessed. And um, that week again, right, we called everyone, we said, like, you know, we really think it's valuable for you all to come out to a build, we want to give you like ownership and autonomy over this in a world where I think so often you feel so little autonomy, um, and so yep. little power yep. when everything feels like it's crumbling, right, to have some semblance of ownership and autonomy to be able to um, do something that is immediately like visible and real um, feels really powerful, right? When sometimes, you know, uh, talking to elected officials is moving too slowly because disasters are happening so quickly. There is a need to balance immediate need and system change, right? And I think you have to constantly hold both. Um, but, you know, we're talking to these folks, we're asking them to come to the build. And um, we actually had a couple people come out to our build from our distribution, people that had a really amazing time, people that, you know, said they enjoyed being there um, and took air purifiers back and gave them out to their friends and family. 
Um, and we're able to say, you know, I made this, right? Like this is something <laughs> yep. valuable, but also I understand how it works. And I talked to one of these people, our next uh, build is actually on his birthday. And he was like, I really want to come out on my birthday. I really want to come out and like help people and do this thing that has been enjoyable um, and is also like helping people. And that to me was wild. That's so cool. Right? That someone, <laughs> right, like that someone wants to come on their birthday to like build air purifiers on a Saturday yep. when most of these people are, you know, working 40 to however many hours a week that they're willing to continue to even work on a Saturday, uh, I think is a huge feat. Um, and it's something that's definitely felt really, really powerful in this. Yeah, I think something that Janine brings out is really important, which is that um, at every stage, we've been sort of interrogating and examining the work we're doing and asking whether we are truly drawing out the full political potential of our work. So in the earlier days, when we were just stirring up vats of sanitizer and getting out these masks, you know, uh, we did a lot. And, you know, this network of volunteers uh, comprised well over 200 people and it was sort of consuming all of our time. But eventually we realized that to a large degree, we were basically just acting as a stopgap measure for government austerity and for the big gaps left behind by this extremely problematic nonprofit industrial complex. And the work we were doing then, we realized was sort of susceptible to co-optation. Um, and it didn't necessarily represent too much of a threat to uh, capitalist hegemony. And um, at that point, you know, we shifted into DSA and we started bringing in a very sort of explicit uh, political education component and started associating with an organization like Tank, which has already been doing um, really incredible radical organizing in the Bay Area. But eventually we ran up against the limits of that as well. And, you know, DSA is an organization where a lot of us uh, initially learned our politics, but, you know, in its current sort of stage, it's characterized by a strong degree in our chapter of sort of democratic centralism. And most of the effort is being put toward electoral work and reform work. And everything that we were reading about seemed to point towards the extreme limits of that form of organizing yep. and how these forms of organizing, in fact, represented sometimes the more reactionary elements of the left in earlier moments in history. And we wanted to go beyond that. And so we realized that we were spending a lot of time having to just sort of defend the work that we were doing. So eventually we just decided to uh, sort of reassert our autonomy. And as we shifted into the air purifier chapter of our work, that's what we were doing. And um, our inspirations are manifold. And uh, as we were reading about these earlier moments in history, something which um, had an extraordinary um, effect on me was studying the example of the Spanish Revolution in 1936. And suddenly I was reading about this moment in history that's been more or less erased from most of our textbooks or presented um, in a very kind of uh, dishonest form. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what these workers and peasants had done in the midst of fascist takeover was create on an enormous scale um, the uh, perhaps the most egalitarian society that I've ever read about, um, which truly represented. Um, a sort of liberatory, radical, 
um, early form of anti-authoritarian socialism that stands in tremendous contrast to the much uglier uh, uh, forms of so-called socialism that we've uh, seen appear in the 20th century. And what I noticed was that this society in Spain in 1936 was absolutely replete with mutual aid. And these kind of anarchist tendencies had um, sort of penetrated the consciousness of many of the workers and peasants in Spain, you know, 60 years before the revolution, after um, Bakunin and the First International sent out an emissary to start spreading these ideas. And they took hold like wildfire and spread across the country. I think, I think one, of, one of the most incredible things about that story is the, 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 the guy that gets sent from Italy, like from, as, as the representative Finale. from like, the anarchists. Yeah, he doesn't speak Spanish. Right, he only speaks yeah. Italian, and and yeah. He, he yeah he shows up to this place right, and he's he's he he's such a sort of brilliant orator, and and the sort of like the 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 power of the ideas that he has is so strong that you know it 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 it, bre- it breaks through the language barrier, and it's it's this sort of I think it's just this incredible moments that you know I think I think ties into a lot of, a lot of what you two are running into with you know I mean we still live in a place that's you know incredibly defined by language barriers, and just the the ability to break through that becomes. It gives you this just incredible potential of power and organization. Yeah, Chris, you don't know how much it means to me to hear someone who's as familiar with this as you apparently yeah. are. Most of the time when I talk about this, it's just total blank faces, even among my friends and comrades on the left, And unfortunately. But yeah, I mean, reading about Finelli, who didn't speak a word of Spanish, and he just went and with his wild gesticulations and his passionate rhetoric was able to basically inspire people with the radical politics that he came there to represent. And it somehow then took on a life of its own is kind of an extraordinary thing. And what I would do to take a time machine back and just see what this guy, you know, who yeah. slept on trains and basically lived as a tramp as he went from village to village spreading the word, what what this looked like, what was he doing? Um, and yet these ideas took hold in a profoundly deep way. And, um, these notions of solidarity, mutual aid, cooperation, free association existed by the time of the Spanish Revolution in 1936. So these sort of dual power counter institutions were more or less in place. And these are the things which um, were the, the basis, the precondition for this sweeping egalitarian social revolution that then unfolded, which was unfortunately destroyed by force. Um, but this was the sort of society that I imagined I might actually want to live yeah. in. Um, and, and, uh, and, and what you see is that there is a, a deep element to um, a sort of shared consciousness that uh, existed um, at that time. And it was quite an effort for people to bring that consciousness from sort of the countryside where it took hold more nat- uh, naturally into sort of the industrial um, centers, uh, the metropolitan areas where people working in factories were, um, you know, found it a lot more difficult to sort of exercise these um, values because these things are effectively bled out of them as they um, work on the factory floor. And um, that brought a whole different meaning to the work that we were doing now. And we wondered, what can we do to 
uh, inculcate, to nurture this kind of consciousness among the people with whom we're interacting as we do our mutual aid, as we do our distributions, as we hold these builds that, you know, even though we had trouble getting initially a few of the people from our distributions to show up, there were still, you know, 60, 70 people showing up every other weekend. And now we finally started having the people that we're distributing to yeah. show up, which is extraordinarily <laughs> surprising and, and exciting. And yeah. This has been It Could Happen Here. Join us tomorrow for part two of this interview, where we'll go more in depth on the political side of Common Humanity Collective's work. Meanwhile, you can find us on Twitter at Happened Here Pod and also on Instagram at the same place, and you can find the rest of her work at Cool Zone Media in the same places. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just 348 With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. Welcome to It Could Happen Here, a podcast about things falling apart and about how we can put them back together in a way better than they originally were. And today we're going to continue our interview with Janine and Abrar from the Common Humanity Collective. We've been talking about their work. We've been talking about the origin of the mutual aid projects. We've been talking specifically about the political aspect of their work and how they're reading the sort of anarchist, the history of anarchist struggle in Spain, and particularly mutual aid during the Spanish Civil War. 
helped impact and shape the politics and work that they've been doing. One thing I wanted to sort of circle back all the way to from the beginning was the stuff you got, you were doing at the very beginning of the pandemic, because I, I think th- this is, I've, I've talked about this before on here, but you know, the, the, the difference between a country like the U S where what 700, 750,000 people are dead and places where that didn't happen was the degree of community mobilization. And I talked about this with the Chinese example is that like, yeah, I mean like the, the reason that China the, the pandemic sort of got contained there, it, it wasn't because the state stepped in and was like, we're going to do this. It was because hundreds of thousands of ordinary people just took to the streets and were like, okay, we're doing a lockdown now. And, you know, and, and it, it takes a different form in, in China because, you know, there's, there's a lot of different sort of things going on there. But the, that kind of mass community mobilization in the beginning of it, just like it, it didn't happen that much in the US. And I, and I think like, you know, the, 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 the world where we don't all die in the pandemic, right? Is is the one where the things that you all were doing happen? I mean, one of the other things I remember, my, my sister is a, a bio grad student, and she was telling me about how you know, so so the 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 you know one one of the things one of the bottlenecks beginning of the pandemic, and it's still kind of a bottleneck was was about uh, being able to being able to do COVID tests, and you know, bio grad students can do PCR tests like it's easy. This is you know, this is one of the first things they teach you, and that capacity just was never used. It just it was just sort of left and like sat there and rotted and it sat there and rotted because you know the, the the actual pandemic response was run by a state that just didn't care and a bureaucracy that even when it did care was sort of you know didn't have this capacity to mobilize it you know it, it, its entire existence is about making sure that sort of the capacity for autonomous mobilization never happens and That's i think great. that that was one of the like most interesting and powerful parts of what y'all were doing was that you just did it and it just it, it kept spreading yeah, no, I think it's a that's a really good and important point you're bringing up. And I should mention that before we started doing any of this stuff with PPE, I was actually, you know, as word uh, as 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 the the um, uh, the the fear of the pandemic started spreading, and we finally had a picture of what the U.S. would soon look like. <laughs> I remember going to a union meeting among my fellow grad student workers and talking to some people afterwards and saying like, hey, um, I don't think that we have anywhere near the kind of testing infrastructure that we're going to need to prevent the spread of this stuff. Like, why don't we just, is there any way that we can just take PCR machines and set up these little guerrilla operations yeah. <laughs> and start testing people for free? And Unfortunately, one of the things I noticed was that people, you know, were just like very confused by this idea or they yep. had much more faith in the state's ability to um, uh, assemble these infrastructures. And I just realized that was not the way in which I was going to be able to yeah. um, help out. And so it's it's unfortunate. But a lot of people have, even though they have these instincts for sort of uh, mutual aid and for this kind of autonomous organizing, this stuff lies just below the surface often they don't feel actually capable of it. And I think more than anything, what we've done with this project is we've created a context and atmosphere in which things which people typically feel like they cannot do, they suddenly realize they can do. Again, it's just to come back to that idea that most of us, you know, we live our lives, we sell our labor for wages, a few people who own the means of production, you know, accumulate uh, profits and uh, use them to manipulate the state for their own purposes. Um, and this has an effect on us. I mean, this has a fe- an effect on dulling our consciousness. Um, and it's an extraordinary 
uh, transformation in our social relations and our sense of our own individuality when we do realize in these moments that we can be um, subjects. And uh, so unfortunately, my initial yeah. attempt to try <laughs> to stimulate some of this activity um, around testing didn't work out. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, it just presents this recurring problem, which is that people are not used to doing this kind of work. And uh, Janine and I have found many, many times that, you know, people are willing to come and use their hands and build something for a few hours. But then what we try to do is get them involved. We say, come to the meetings. You have decision-making power. You can mm -hmm. determine the trajectory of this work. And that's always a very, very difficult thing to be doing now, given yeah. the way that sort of people have been conditioned um, right now. And I think that's something which is concerning because yep. uh, these uh uh, traits of subservience and sort of submission, I think, are incompatible. If there were a moment of revolutionary rupture, um, I'm not sure that that would necessarily lead to any better sort of society. So I think this stuff is deeply, deeply important to get people involved in this kind of work. I just want to go back to one of the things you said, like you mentioned the community aspect and like those relationships. And I think that I know I've said this so many times, both in like my organizing space and even on this podcast today, but I truly have felt like building community is one of the most powerful ways to organize. And I think so many people in leftist spaces right now see organizing as like a place where you just do work. Yeah. Um, and I actually think that that's a really terrible way to organize. I don't yeah. think that you're going to have people come back, right? Like, I don't think that um, anyone is going to feel empowered and, you know, kind of through talking to Abrar, I've started reading this book on the free women of Spain and like thinking more about this also, right? And thinking about how they're talking about community building and how they're talking about like community as believing in each other and like helping each other realize their full potential. Um, and as a way to actually find equity and equality through like horizontalist structures, through allowing people to reach their full potential. Um, and I think, you know, these are some of the politics that have informed what we're doing, that have informed how we're trying to allow people to grow. And so many people have come to us and said, you know, these mass builds or these air purifier um, builds are like the highlight of my week or the highlight of my month. Um, or I'm thinking about the like the way that you're structuring um, your distributions and thinking about how I can implement that into the work that we're doing. Um, and I think that those things are so powerful when you're able to create these spaces, again, where people care for each other. And yep. like you're saying, that goes a long way towards being able to mobilize um, when there are disasters, to being able to mobilize around protests, to being able to mobilize around these ruptures, because you have solidarity that's built through relationships and that is allowing you to build power. One of the things that, that you two are both sort of getting at is that, you know, there's it, – it, it, it's hard in a lot of ways because, yeah, I mean, the, the U.S. has – I mean, baked into just – to every single part of your life is there's going to be someone who is above you who can order you and tell you what to do. And that's, you know, that that's, that, that's the defining characteristic of life in the United States. And the second defining characteristic is if you don't do what they tell you, a person with a gun shows up and either just beats you or hauls you away and enslaves you. And, you know, that, that, that has these enormous sort of psychological consequences that, you know, cre create, creates this culture where people, you know, I mean, and th this goes along with there's, there's this whole de-skilling process that's, that's been a, a sort of part of the broad arc of capitalism that you all are sort of trying to reverse. But even, even yeah, you know, he's talking about even the people who have the skills just don't sort of 
they, they they don't believe in their own autonomy in a way, and that and that that becomes this incredibly powerful you know tool of of keeping people in line. But when that breaks, and when when people start to see it, it, it can take time. But yeah, you know the 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 kinds of power and the the depth of the, the sort of organization that you build is from that is incredible. And I think this is one of the other things about the Spanish example that people tend to forget, which is that you know okay, so the, the CNT, which is the sort of giant uh, CNT FAI, is the, the giant sort of uh, anarchist union that's that's running a lot of this stuff you know they're almost completely destroyed at the uh, during, during like over the course of the spanish civil war and they're you know they're destroyed by the stalinists they're destroyed by the fascists and at the end by the end of the war you know that the fascists control spain for about 40 years but even that you know i mean they, they kill hundreds of thousands of people they like it, there's, there's massacres there's, you know it, it turns into literally a fascist police state but the moments that the, the the moment the fascist dictatorship collapses, the CNT reappears, and they even 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 in you know in in seventies Spain, in a place that is in a lot of ways industrialized, they still almost overthrow the government one more time, and you know I mean they're 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 still around, they're sort of in much reduced form to this day, but I mean once 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 you build that kind of power, right? Even you know even forty years of fascist dictatorship wasn't enough to completely destroy it. It was, you know, it was, it was, it was still there, sort of waiting underground, and then the moment there was a rupture, it reappears. This is a really important thing that you're bringing up, Chris, because I think it has um, a lot to do with how we just measure and talk about success on the left. Yeah. Um, what you're describing, which you know, Spain is typically by many people on the left described as kind of a failed experiment. Oh, it was nice, but it ultimately failed. So let's look at Russia, you know, um, but. Uh, some people have argued, and I think very correctly, that you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Once something like this happens, it's there. Those energies are there. They are not forgotten. They are not lost. And there's, you know, a very um, vigorous sort of uh, left-wing radical anarchist movement that's resonant um, uh, and very sort of consistent with with the earlier movement during the yep. 30s. And um I think that's that's an extraordinarily important thing to think about. We tend to measure uh, these projects in these very sort of linear sort of status terms. And we discovered, um, especially when we were doing work in DSA, that a lot of people were trying to frame our own project in that way. Yeah. You know, what are the demands that you're making? What are the yeah. what pressure are you exerting on the state? Um, and so there's these criteria that people use to evaluate kind of the efficacy or the success of projects like these. And the Spanish example tells you um, that the way that these things work is, in fact, much more complicated and much more interesting. Um, and that by assembling these structures, these organizations, even if at some time or another they don't necessarily exist anymore, all of those people who participated in them are transformed and the people that they interact with might then also be transformed. And so something like the CNT, which is, you know, an extraordinary organization, the FAI is what, you know, really gave it the kind of anarcho-syndicalist content that defined the quality of that revolution. Um, that never got lost. That never went away, even when it seems to have disappeared. Um, and so I think we have to learn to think about success and failure, um, you know, as we very simplistically use these terms uh, very, very um, differently. And this is something which informs our own work when we're asking, was this successful? Was this not successful? Um, I think that's a much more difficult and complicated question than we often make it out to be. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think there's something very specific about, you know, if we can go into sort of 
DSA factional politics for a little bit. But like, I think like in some ways you, you see the shallowness of, of a lot of the approaches that was happening in, in the DSA where, you know, uh, like if, 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 you, if you look at a lot of how the sort of Medicare for All stuff went or a lot of how the sort of Bernie campaigning stuff went, right? It was, okay, you know, you, you, have, these, you have these organizations that are like a mile wide and an inch deep. And it's like, okay, they're, they're capable of mobilizing people to vote one time, but, you know, then they lose the election. And then what, right? So they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't have, you know, there's, there's supposed to be this whole thing of like Bernie being the organizer in chief and this whole sort of plan to use the sort of list he developed as an organizing, organizing thing. It just never happened. And, right. you know, it, it didn't happen in a lot of ways because it was just sort of, they, 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 they treated the whole process of building power as essentially a bureaucratic exercise, right? It's how many people are on this list, how many people are showing up to the state, like, you know, and, and like how, how many, how many doors have we knocked on? And, and no relationships. Yeah, yeah. Built. Yeah, it's, it's just, it, you know, and that's, the, and that's the other thing you're talking about with the fact that organizing spaces have to be more than just another, just another place you go to work. Right. Is if, you know, if, if all you're doing is just replicating these sort of bureaucratic things, you're, you're going to watch them fail exactly the same way the bureaucracies do, except, you know, you're, you're, you're not the American state. You're not the democratic party. You don't have an infinite amount of money or the ability to sort of, you know, you don't, you don't have the ability to call an RB to enforce what you need to do. Right. You, you don't, you don't have, uh, you, 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 you don't have the fallback of bad methods of organizing, which is violence. And when that happens, you know, and, and suddenly, and, and you can't confront your own failures because you're stuck in this, things just start to sort of implode and you start to lose people and you start to sort of, you know, you, you see this sort of stagnation and decline that I think, you know, <laughs> talking about, yeah, without, without getting exactly too much into what's going on in East Bay, like that's, that's, that, that's been everything I've seen out of it. Yeah, and I think to go kind of off of what Abrar was talking about to kind of put this into terms of the work that we've been doing, right, you know, through the mask builds, um, as they were winding down, we weren't quite sure what our next project was. And, you know, we talked a lot about like, how do we keep this energy going? Like, we don't want to just lose this. And yeah. I also felt, you know, a certain amount of social obligation to, <laughs> you know, keep this community together that yeah. had formed during the pandemic. And so we started um, a book group kind of in the interim, uh, reading How Europe Underdeveloped Africa by Walter Rodney and, you know, had around 30 people show up to that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think as, you know, you're talking about the importance of once, you know, these relationships are formed, once these ideologies start to percolate, that they don't just go away, right? These people that we, you know, brought into DSA in a lot of ways, East Bay DSA, came to join this book group and later came to join the air purifier project, despite the fact that it was more outside of DSA, a lot of these people, because of, you know, what we had built and what we had created, yep. continued to be such a huge part and take on incredible leadership roles um, and, you know, facilitate this project in a way that it would not at all look like what it does without, you know, these people dedicating so much of their time and energy to this project kind of throughout the process. Yeah, and Chris, I, I, going back to what you were saying earlier, I think um, I, I've I've seen a a, a very interesting um, uh, kind of reflection come out of some of these organizations, and you see these different splits and sort of uh, wings developing. But yeah, I mean, I Janine is a very sort of organic 
radical and revolutionary who I've learned an enormous amount from. But I think my own trajectory was much more characteristic of what you described earlier, which is that, you know, I'd put all my eggs in this basket. I thought, okay, Bernie Sanders, like that's, that is, that is the, that is the beginning of how we um, undergo a sort of democratic socialist transformation. And then, you know, in a few snaps of the finger, even though I'd spent just like hundreds of hours just knocking doors and promising all these things to people who might, you know, vote for him at their door and, and all this stuff that, and, and, and just sort of uh, regurgitating all these slogans and, and talking, you know, uh, rapturously about these welfare programs. Um, I saw all of that dissolve in a moment and I realized that I didn't leave anything behind. And there was, uh, you know, in DSA and our chapter, you saw that there was a large group of people um, who just wanted to keep that flame burning and just say, we'll do better next time. You know, we'll do more work at the local level to elect representatives. But then there was another group of people who was much more disillusioned um, and really started wondering, is this what we should be doing? Or at least is this all that we should be doing? Um, and you see the same thing coming out of a group like Sunrise, which whose primary sort of mandate is to just put pressure onto Congress um, to urge the necessity of a Green New Deal or whatever. And nevertheless, out of Sunrise, we've met people who, after the George Floyd protests, after the dissolution of the Bernie campaign, have been led down the same radical path as, as some of us um, found ourselves uh, traveling um, in, in East Bay DSA. And they're the ones who've now come to help our project and, you know, using whatever autonomy they have at the sort of um, hub level in Sunrise, because even though it's an organization with sort of paid staff and something of this bureaucracy, right now in this moment, the individual little local hubs actually have a surprising amount of autonomy. Yeah. And I really hope they're going to fight for yeah. and protect that autonomy. Yeah. So they've been able to use that autonomy to actually put a lot of effort toward raise money, thousands of dollars for our work at CHC and come to our organizer meetings, become a part of the effort and urge upon their own um, friends and co-organizers and and people they know in Sunrise to uh, shift the direction of their work, of their branches towards doing more work like this. So there are these kind of interesting different uh, splinterings that you see yeah. happening, which give me some hope that we're not just going to keep uh, running the same tape over and over again. So one of the other interviews we did on this show was with a bunch of people who were uh, working with the uh, basically this giant effort in Atlanta to stop this like just atrocious sort of destru- this destruction of a bunch of forests to create this like weird teaching cops how to do counterterrorism enormous academy thing that's being funded by a bunch of the local corporations in atlanta and they were describing you know they 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 didn't talk about sort of the exact same process of dissolution but you know you saw there were like you know one of the people with the hair was from sunrise and they were also talking about how they they'd pulled together this just like enormous coalition of a bunch of community groups that was you know and, and it, like the, their their initial goal was to sort of they were trying to pressure the city council into stopping the into you know into not approving it and that doesn't work but you know if you know some some of the other groups that were that were involved in this are talking about like okay well I, you know they're, they're planning is like if this fails we're gonna go stop it ourselves and and i think that pivot right is is one of the most crucial things that is happening right now because 
you know, okay, if if you if you you know if if you if you 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 pull out your like poly, your poli sci like policy space diagrams, right? Like it's it's the United States. The, the the policy that's enacted is the one that is is the policy that's decided by the 60th senator. And it's like, okay, so you know, even 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 if you're going to try to do an electoral thing, right? You need you need 60 votes in the Senate. There is one arguably socialist senator, and we've never elected another one. So, you know, and you start looking at this, right? And it's like, okay, like, you know, we, we elect like two, maybe three socialists in, in the House every year. And if, you know, if, if you continue at the same rate, it'll be like, what, like, like 200 years before we have a majority there. And it's like, yeah, you know, at, at a certain point, it's like, yeah, I mean, we're like, we're not going to be around because we'll be dead. But like most of most most of the stuff on Earth will also not be around because it will have been obliterated by climate change there, and you know, and, and at some point you have to get to, we're going to have to do it ourselves because no one no one else is going to do it for us. And I think the the work you two have been doing is just incredible. It's just an incredible example of, of how that can actually happen and what what that looks like. Thank you. Yeah, I think that it is so important, and I think that that's one of the reasons that to me it was also so important to get all of these groups at these air purifier builds yep. because. I think oftentimes organizing is so siloed um, and it really frustrates me and people seem very like loyal. At least I found this in East Bay DSA to like their particular organization, any other organization they don't even really want to talk about or they don't even know still exists. Yep. Yep. Um, And to me, like if we can give people the tools to organize, I don't care who they're organizing. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, But if we can also like have these groups communicate with each other, right? Like, different groups are doing exactly the same thing, right? Yep, we have the yep. eco-socialist group um, in DSA, right? You have Sunrise, you have the IWW, and then you have the Labor Committee of DSA. And it's like, sometimes there is cross-communication, right? But to me, it never feels like it's quite enough. It never feels like we're really all working on this or we're really all in it together. And I think we really should be because yeah. like you're saying, like there's kind of a ticking clock. Yep. We only have <laughs> a certain amount of time to actually make the changes that we want to see. And when we're not willing to actually work with each other and communicate with each other, things are not going to happen as quickly. Yeah. Um, and so being able to have like, you know, a table of people assembling purifiers from DSA Sunrise Tank, right? And they're all talking about the organizing work that they're doing and sharing stories and strategies so that we're not all constantly reinventing the wheel, yep, but actually yep. working together on this, I think is so, so valuable. And this is something that we've seen, you know, one of our friends who's um, helping lead one of the tank locals has come to a number of our events and was telling us how he's actually tried to bring things that he's seen that we're doing into his own local. And we've heard this in other contexts as well. So uh, things spread. And that's, I think, a really important thing that, um, you know, especially because of Janine's, um, you know, just, just, uh, 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 attempts to try to get all these groups together into one place to communicate, to build relationships. Um, we're now seeing what we've built sort of emanating elsewhere. And we're also learning a lot from all these different people and groups who come to our builds and then become organizers in the effort. And, you know, to mention someone like, you know, Gerald Janine referred to earlier, who is this uh, uh, wonderful um 
cantankerous uh, <laughs> uh, ex-Black Panther, you know, who has such an enormous history of experience. For him to give us that historical perspective for everything that we're doing um, has been an enormous boost of, of confidence and it's allowed us to focus. And, you know, just to reiterate what she said earlier, we were really depressed when we went out and we were talking to people in West Oakland and East Oakland and everyone was telling us, we're going to come. Yeah, we'll show up. We'll be there. And then, you know, while many other people showed up from Sunrise DSA, CHC, elsewhere, none of those people showed up. And we said, Gerald, they're not coming. What's going on? And he said, you know, keep going. Yeah. Keep trying. Keep doing it. Do not give up. Do not judge from that one experience. This is really hard work. And these people have had the door shut on them over and over and over again. And they're tired and it's the weekend. But you keep doing it and they will come and then the next time they came we may not have gone there again had it not been for gerald bringing in this enormous um breadth of experience to share with us you know at the end of our uh previous build there, there's this there's this quote that i remember from oh i forget who it was it was one of the one of the people who'd been heavily involved in the egyptian revolution 2011 had this quote she was talking about you know, I should be doing this for decades, right? And she's like, "Yeah, okay, so you have a protest, and if 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 a hundred, if if eight hundred people show up, you're happy, and if a hundred people show up, you're depressed, and then one day eight hundred thousand people show up, and you kind of just forgot that could happen." And yeah, I mean that that is something that you know, yeah, you're like organizing is not easy. You're you're going to spend a lot of time like not winning. You're going to spend a lot of time feeling like you're barely treading water. There's going to be a lot of time where, you know, nothing works and everything seems to be falling apart. But, you know, if you keep pushing, 800,000 people show up and, you know, and suddenly the regime is like taking, is like, you know, try, trying to catch planes out of the country. And yeah. And, you know, and you, you get to that, that CLR James line about how the ruling class is not defeated until it's ruling, until it's running for its lives. But you know, they do run for their lives. This is a thing that happens. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, if, if we do this together, we can get there. Totally. And I think, you know, uh, what Abrar is saying is so true. And we also, you know, in doing these distributions, talk to people. And I literally would say, like, what will get people to show up, right? There's a yeah. certain <laughs> amount of, like, honesty in these conversations yeah. of, like, you know, this is what we're trying to do. Like, there's a reciprocal relationship here again, like help us understand also like what we need to do in order mm -hmm. to make sure that the reciprocal relationship is actually realized and actually happening. Um, and I think that that was kind of an exciting moment of like having people have a, some autonomy and like say, and like, you know, they know this community better than we do. Right. They know yep. like how people are going to show up and how maybe they won't. But Chris, uh, just to bring it back to what you were saying, I think describing the kind of nonlinear uh, trajectory of uh, popular movements in history is something that we try to keep always in our minds. Um, things may begin small, things may seem small, even when you study the examples in Spain of sort of the uh, groups of people who formed sort of the early FAI, who were just sort of discussing these ideas around a fire before they tried to sort of infiltrate the CNT. And then this became the sort of predominant um, mood and sort of ideology that, the, that, that characterized the CNT, which then, you know, spread out and sort of characterized the Spanish Revolution at large and massive numbers, millions of people, you know, um, and, and just seeing what happened with the George Floyd protests and studying the examples of, you know, Paris in 1968, where it at first just seems like small groups of students. And then, you know, 
just a few <laughs> days and weeks later, you know, there's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands yep. of workers, um, you know, who are out literally just pulling out cobblestones from the street, you know, up against the police. And, and the way that these things happen is very unpredictable. And I think that's also a very important thing to keep in mind as we're trying to evaluate, you know, what we're doing in a given moment. Yeah. And I think, I think, I think that's, that's, that's a very good note to end on. It's, you know, every, the, 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 the struggle we have embarked in is an incredibly difficult one and we're not going to know how it ends for a long, long time. But that doesn't, yeah, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean it ends badly. And the the kind of resiliency we can build is incredibly deep and incredibly powerful. Okay, plugs time. Where do you two want people to go? What do you want people to know? And yeah, we can we can link stuff if you want to send it to us in the uh, in 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 the in the chat chat we can we can we can link stuff we can we can we can link stuff in the description of this episode this is why we have editors <laughs> thank you daniel <laughs> don't worry i know what you mean yeah. yeah um i think definitely like our social media um so twitter and instagram is c humanity c um for folks to be able to donate um to visit our website to be able to plug in if they are in the bay area and want to get involved um they can find ways to do that through those social media channels you know they can message us um and then our fundraiser i don't know if we should just send the link or what the best way to do that is if you go to commonhumanitycollective.org there's a donate button which leads to the fundraiser so you can find it there. also also if you, if you yeah. go there you can see how they you can see instructions for how to make the fans and they are so cool like they're awesome <laughs> it's it's sweet it's <laughs> So go do go do that too because it's sick and there's also instructions for how you can make them as well. And we hope people do this elsewhere. Please yes. reach out to us. We yes. want to not be the only ones doing yes. this. And yes. so this is why we've tried to just put everything online so that others can replicate this yeah. model. And this is why we're coming on a show like this and going into so much detail into our history, just so yeah. that uh, you know we don't have to keep reinventing the wheel. Yeah. I think, you know, Abrar and I have learned so much from this project. Um, and a lot of it really did feel like reinventing the wheel, which is unfortunate because I know that, you know, mutual aid has been done elsewhere. But with the organizers that we were talking to, a lot of the things that we were doing, we were having to kind of start from scratch. And yeah. I, at least my goal is like, we're both very accessible people. Like, if there are questions, you know, to be able to reach out so that we can, you know, explain our experience to other folks um, and talk through, you know, our relationship with Sunrise started because they heard about the mutual aid work that we were doing. And they said, we want to do that also. And we were like, great. And, you know, Abrar, our co-organizer, Joe and I, and this woman from Sunrise met in a park and like, <laughs> ate dinner and just talked about mutual aid. And Hell yeah. About, you know, the pitfalls that had happened and what went well and how we could do it in the future. And then like this beautiful collaboration began like Abrar was talking about. So um, I think, you know, we're, we're really happy to talk about where things have gone awry and what we've learned yeah. from this project. <laughs> and, and thankfully at this point too, like what successes we've had. Yeah. So yeah, go, go everyone, go, 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 go find them, go out of your communities, go do this themselves. And yeah, go, 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 go get us another Spanish revolution. We need another one. Yeah, thank you, thank thank you to you so much for joining us. I so agree, Chris. This has been such an, a huge pleasure for yeah, me, me too. Uh, talking to you. We've we've been covered by a lot of places, but never quite like yeah. Place. Just thank you <laughs> yeah. so much for doing this. Yeah, and thank you. Yeah, such an honor to be here, and so much fun to talk with you both. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah.
And yeah, so this this has been It Could Happen Here Pod. Uh, you can find us at Happen Here Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and at Cool Zone for just the rest of the stuff that we do. All right, bye everyone. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billy's vocals. It was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. What's critical? My race theories. Um, well, all right. That's not a great introduction, but it's not a great time in America. Uh, I'm Robert Evans. This is It Could Happen Here. With me tonight, as often, but not always, uh, is 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 Garrison Davis uh, and our good friend Christopher Wong. Uh, we're here to talk about... Um, a bunch of stuff. Largely, we're talking about the increasing and escalating attacks on school boards and attempts to take over and dominate school boards uh, by far right activists. And a lot of this is centered around critical race theory. A lot of it's centered around vaccine mandates. It all kind of blends together like a good gumbo um, or like fascist syncretism. Um, one of the things I'd, I would say that's that's kind of most relevant right now as we're recording this. I don't think the race has been officially called, but it's become an increasingly obvious 
that uh, uh, Terry McAuliffe has lost his reelection bid and the uh, uh, new governor of Virginia will be a Republican who, among other things, has re- like promised and based a huge amount of his campaign on banning critical race theory and specifically like banning books and shit from being taught in Virginia schools. Um, and this is all the result of a pretty far reaching um, and, and complex and honestly pretty pretty scary uh campaign and we're going to talk about that tonight garrison do you want to uh do you want to take it sure. from here yeah y- yeah i'll do a little bit then we can move over yeah. to telegram but yeah you yeah, you're like so... the getty lee of this so so this is your drum solo time <laughs> yeah we we decided we needed to do an episode on this sooner than later when uh a few weeks ago a large number of of of, of anti-vax and anti-mask protesters um took over a school board meeting in uh, in Portland, and the reason why that is special in and of itself, because this has been happening across the country for a long time, but but the fact that they were able to overwhelm and shut down an entire school board meeting with hundreds of people like invading this building um, and shutting this down with just the sheer amount of like power that the people had there was was it's notable because it's like it's it's a liberal-ish city, right? It's a, that's generally how yeah. people view it as, and you know, we're used to this happening, you know, more like southern states and states that are more like overwhelmingly conservative. But when a, like a Portland school board meeting gets shut down, people were like, "Oh wow, this is like extra important because this is showing that it's not this isn't isolated to like quote unquote red states, right? This can this can spread out everywhere." Now, uh, you it, know, with Portland, it was it, it was a mix of like hippie types who are like anti-vax, but there was a good deal of like actual Proud Boys there as well. Yes, um, and it was partly organized uh, through an organization run by the Bundys. Um, yes. and there were some direct ties, and they they helped to advertise it. So it's there's a lot of um, I mean, one of the things that was so unsettling is that a lot of these people were not Portland residents. But they were showing up and were able to effectively like take over and dominate a Portland school board meeting, um, in part because uh, law enforcement is never ever willing to do yeah. anything against yeah. these people. There's there's a there's a lot of a lot of points here. So like, yeah, the, one of it being is like these like these big mobs are definitely able to benefit from being you know white mostly mi- middle class like parents and stuff or maybe not maybe not not even parents they can just be white middle class um which means they can like storm buildings and, sh- and shut stuff down without any re- real consequence because police aren't police and security aren't really going to get involved that much and the like the libs are not going to like really be pushing back on this in any kind of meaningful no they'll way. just make fun of these people if they misspell something on a sign yeah, yeah. so yeah. like basically the idea for this episode is we want to talk about why and how school boards have become kind of the new front lines for pushing far-right stuff into the cultural zeitgeist because they've really become the new the new the new like space that people on the right are able to push things that are that are more that are more extreme and push things that are going to you know hurt you know kids mostly mhm so, so looking for this, we put together a decent amount of stuff from organizing chats for how basically the right is talking about these things and how they're trying to organize it. Um, and one really interesting kind of thing of note, which will come up later in the Telegram stuff, is that in, I think, oh, it was, when was it? It was late September. Um, the National School Boards Association, so like the, the, the National School Board Union, um, uh, put in a request for federal assistance to stop um, ongoing threats and acts of violence against 
uh, school boards, like meeting members and people present at school boards, because this has been ramping up. The, you know, this this was happening the last last school season as well, but really the past few months, the the prevalence and the number of these types of like mobs overtaking these school boards has become so much more common um, that the school board union put in like sent like a letter directly to the president saying, "Hey, we kind of need help here." Um, so it's it's not just it's it, this is this is a problem that's recognized widely even among people like on school boards because yeah they're getting like harassed they're getting death threats um this is becoming like unsafe to hold school board meetings um and whether or not you like our modern school system or not the 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 resulting effect of this is that it's going to be hurting like kids and like yep. help, like it's a good yep. whether it be through like covid whether it be through teaching them racist like curriculums or whether it be to you know making trans kids have make their lives a whole lot harder right all of this kind of stuff is gonna be worse by this happening so it is something definitely worth caring about yeah it, it, it's worth caring about all like it, it's clearly an attempt in order to 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 arrest the the kind of progressive tilt that that society has gone through all of this is is a reaction both to i mean it, it, the the religious right was initially more than anything a reaction to desegregation and the women's liberation movement um and what we're seeing now is a reaction to primarily the gains that lgbt people have made in the last like 20 years including uh, the legalization of gay marriage um and so the ultimate goal of all of this is to stop progress towards racial justice, to roll back gay rights, um, to enshrine white supremacy using violence. And that's why that's why all of these different school board meetings, like the the threat of violence from these people is a constant factor. Um, there's regular discussion of it. There's like I mean, that's why the Proud Boys are showing up is is to be a, 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 a like is to be a death squad, um, you know, a little precursor death squad. They're not quite willing to start start pulling triggers yet, but they want people to know that it's possible. They want to scare people away from getting involved in local politics unless yeah. they adhere to a very specific far right political and ideology. It's, it's working because a lot of these school boards are getting mm -hmm. these school board meetings are just getting shut down. Like they just can't yep. have them in person or sometimes not at all because they'll just they'll like zoom bomb. Like it's not like mm -hmm. they're just shutting down so they cannot take place. Or school board members are afraid to go out in public because these people are are going to hurt them. Um and this is like a lot of people involved in this are maybe not themselves like Proud Boys, like they're, they're 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 not super like they're individually are more kind of regular Republicans in these states. But the reason why it gets so extreme and it accelerates so quickly is mostly because of how these organizing efforts take place, and also because of stuff like Fox News and Newsmax and OAN, like pushing people further right the past few years. But like specifically the the method of organizing on apps like Telegram and Facebook groups. This this is this is the thing common on the internet, but like it it rewards accelerationism. It it re, it rewards the most extreme takes. Those are the ones that get shared the most. So even if you know this is just some mom in her forties who's not a proud boy by any means, she's she still poses a threat in this in this way because she's boosting this same rhetoric and is part of these same organizing channels that are full of like actual fascists. Uh, yep. There's a decent amount of very popular posts from very popular channels I, I I pulled that talks about the Jews in the school boards, and we're, we'll get to that kind of stuff shortly. Um, so, there, Robert, do you want to 
start on the Telegram with the uh, the the whole the, the whole school board Telegram channel that has popped up. By no means the most popular t- Telegram channel for organizing, yeah. but it is specifically dedicated to school boards. And because of how Telegram works, this channel gets shared around a lot in other much bigger channels. Yeah, and and just so you know, so the way Telegram works, if you're a a a decent person, um, and you don't live in a country where Telegram is a legitimately good choice for you. There's some areas where it's a perfectly normal social media network. But for the most part in the United States, it's used by fascists and weirdos. Um, So if you're fortunate enough to not use Telegram, the way it works is you have open groups and closed groups. Open groups are anyone can view them. Uh, You don't expose yourself by looking at them. And people largely just kind of post images, memes, videos, and then can comment on them. And a lot of what's posted in any given Telegram channel is shared from another Telegram channel. So for people like Garrison and I who research extremism, one of the uses of Telegram is that by looking at what's being shared in one group from other groups, you can actually start to build networks and see, oh, there's affinity between these two groups because this group may claim that they're just concerned conservatives, but they're sharing all of this uh, all of this content from this far right, you know, Pepe group that's also sharing a lot of neo-Nazi content, and yeah. you can see there's a lot of affinity between. Or, them. So or that, the that, other thing that happens is that yeah. these channels that are getting big and being and are being used for this kind of like right-wing organizing, who present themselves as more just like regular conservative channels. If you, I've been in this channel for like years at this point, and this channel used to be a like proud boy channel. They just changed mm-hmm. their name. Yep. Like it's like that happens all the time where a lot of the big organizing channels used to be like openly violent organizing, like for different mobs to go beat up people. And now they've rebranded to make them appeal more to like just regular Trump voters. Uh, yeah. That is the other thing that happens all the time. And one of the main channels that we'll be talking about today is is one of these one of these channels mm-hmm. that used to be a proud boy thing and is now just kind of right wing organizing in general. Yeah, and it's um I don't know I'm just gonna get into it. So uh, actually, you know what I'm gonna get into before I start talking about fascists on Telegram trying to destroy the concept of democracy. You know what Products else is trying to destroy the concept of democracy? That's right, Chris. Products and services. That's right. Oh my God, we are just having a great time here. So let's talk about Stand for Students, which is a, a the Telegram channel that Garrison pointed out to me and I spent more time than I really than wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. That's never, never, never a good idea. So the stuff in here, this is number one on the surface, a much more moderate group. These people are not ranting about like Jews destroying civilization or the need to like uh, execute uh, 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 black people or something like that. Um, the stuff in here runs the gamut from like one of the first things I found was a a, a clip from a Je- Jesse Ventura, a wrestler, <sighs> a predator yeah. star and a former governor once had a, a conspiracy TV show. There's a popular clip in anti-vaccine uh, circles from it where he's talking with Alex Jones uh, about the Bilderberg group and stuff. So I found that in there, which is like pretty garden variety, yeah. like early 2000s conspiracy nonsense. Yep. Definitely like, oh, yeah, these are like older people. Like, I don't think quite mostly boomers, but definitely like Gen X and stuff, like folks who were in like their 40s and 50s. Um, this is the kind of shit that they would have been like exposed to in their late 20s and whatnot. Um, one of the posters I found uh, commenting on that video said, 
quote, aired on t- TV in 2009 about a plan for depopulation through a virus and injections. Too much of a coincidence. And another responded to this. I was never a huge Alex Jones fan, but he was right all along. My kids were born in the early 80s, and I refused their vaxes way back then. Unfortunately, one of them is now a late 30s CNN jabbed zombie and has infected my grandkids with this inspir- experimental treatment. I'm done. Um, which is... I, Silly, but it also keys you in like these are it, it's it's what you see a lot with QAnon, right? It's these folks yeah, who are it sucks that they're know, getting brought in onto Telegram. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's terrible that this person, this lady who has to be what in her 50s, she's, 60s, yeah, she's, yeah, yeah. She's 50s 60s. about my parents' age, so boomer, um, is on Telegram, which two years ago even was the only Americans you were no, fi- yeah. would find were like extremely online Nazi weirdos. Um, yeah, I remember doing like old trainings. Like, yeah, it was a, like over over two years ago, and Telegram yeah. was nowhere near this prevalent for like regular organizing. No, and this is a result of um of the deplatforming of folks in the wake yeah. of the Capitol attack. But anyway, we don't need to get too much into that right now. So I want to talk a little bit more about some of the things folks are sharing in this in this channel, which is again kind of like I'm going to guess everyone here is kind of late 30s to maybe 60s, 50s, 60s. There's one local story that it, it it was actually very popular among a lot of like lefty folks on Twitter uh, of this like group of dads who showed up to stop. There's like an epidemic of fighting in their school or something. And they showed up to do like a community policing or a community self-defense sort of thing. It was celebrated by a lot of folks because it was like, oh, hey, this is, you know, a, a way that communities can protect themselves without cops, yada, 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 which is a nice thing to see. It was also celebrated um, by these people um by by people in this channel and specifically the clip of the news story covering this i found was from the pepe lives matter channel which is um you know an alt right channel like in it, it, it again as we were talking about earlier the pepe lives is an all like the way full nazi pilled stuff um but it shares a lot of stuff from yeah. channels that are straight up nazis and so you can you can see already this like lady in her 60s who's probably was some pretty normal boomer three years ago is now two steps away from Adam Waffen type motherfuckers. That's just the way Telegram works. Um, and they're all kind of bonding over, again, this is not a bad story, what these local dads did, but it very much ties into this idea of like, we got to get all these parents together and yeah. take action in the real world. Yeah. Like, you can and that's see... going to that's going to go towards yeah. taking action against the people you don't want showing up in your school, meaning like black yep. children and like gay yes. children and yes. trans kids. Yes, yeah, that's what that yeah. Means to, yeah, yeah. Community self defense is great, but also it really depends on what community is defending itself from what. Um, so that's a. Uh, we'll pro- we'll have to talk about that more at some point in the future. Yep. But yeah, uh, another thing I found on that channel was video. This this I dug into a bit. So th- th- there was this video that was claimed to be an ad. It was in fact an ad that Comcast had refused to air. Um, and the video this ad, this unaired ad claimed that it was uh, about it was telling the story of a 13 year old girl, Maddie DeGaray, um, who was vaccinated. She was part of a Pfizer trial and had she claims like a disastrously bad reaction. Um, an ad about her situation was rejected by Comcast. Um, and this girl like has done the whole right wing in her. I'm I'm guessing her parents are the drivers Done the whole right wing media kind of circuit at this point. Um, the fact that Comcast banned the ad is what the people in this Telegram channel were yelling about. Um, and I want to actually quote from the an article about 
why Comcast rejected it, because it makes clear what's actually happening here. Comcast is said to have told the ads buyer it was rejected because it needed substantiation and all graphic images needed to be removed. Documents reportedly submitted for substantiation included the girl's complete medical records, which are said to have outlined symptoms such as erratic blood pressure and pulse, muscle spasms, muscle tremors, headaches, brain fog, mixing up words, and the inability to walk and cough. Um, So you've got this case where, number one, there's graphic images um, and number two, there's documentations that this girl has symptoms, but there's not documentation that they're tied in any way to the vaccine. Like, it's just one of these the the Comcast is being careful to not spread unsubstantiated shit about vaccine reactions and stuff. Um, but within the Telegram channel, the focus is entirely on, like, how this is evidence of this conspiracy to they're hurt suppressing kids. the information yeah, 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 yeah. suppressing information um one response was why in heaven's name don't these parents do their research before having their kids vaccinated my heart goes out to the precious child and family what a lesson to learn for so many parents never too late to educate yourselves people um also i want to point out just the, the spelling and the yeah. the the emojis in this are yeah incredible there is an upsetting amount of emojis that yeah. is honestly i i couldn't care less never t- never but... two with one oh late to educate your space selfs uh it's just again and now i'm doing the you're doing the thing these, i'm doing yeah. the thing i tried not to i did try to give it a straight read through um, it can be challenging when it's like a good it's very funny of the content. it's yeah. it's very funny yeah but but, but i think you know, this this is this this goes back to the whole point about how this radicalization works, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, you have especially with anti-vax stuff that has this sort of larger base from just like regular pure like hard right Nazi stuff. You you get to see people who you know otherwise probably would be a vaguely normal person very very quickly get yeah. involved with this stuff and very quickly just go off the deep end. They're not. They're, how... they're, yeah, it's they, they these it is. It's hard to like say like these are all extremists because like they themselves aren't extremists. They're just uh, surrounded by so much content that is made by yeah. extremists that it's making them do these things, which, which is how which is how extremism works, right? Yeah. But it's it's challenging because like when you try to explain this to someone, you're like, no, this is obviously just like a regular grandma or something, right? Yeah. And it's hard to explain to them how fast this thing can move to the point where they're showing up at a school board with their grandchildren yelling at like teachers and stuff. Yeah, and it's not that this lady is a Nazi. It's that this lady can be, through the process you just outlined, convinced to stand up next to a Nazi and like uh, uh, defend his uh, his right to do violence to people she has been convinced are a yeah. present a threat to the lives of her her grandchildren. Which is, uh, people may say like the whole like, oh, it's not worth parsing out that much if you're standing next to a Nazi or a Nazi. But like, I would argue, no. What's actually the 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 logistics of what is happening here are much more dangerous than yes, a grandma got absolutely. radicalized into national socialism. Anyway, another meme I found it, it was a screen grab from fucking um, Shawshank Redemption with a uh, Morgan Freeman and I don't know. The, whatever, one of the white dudes in that movie, in prison jumpsuits sitting next to each other, and it's the text on it is, what are you in for? I spoke up at a school board meeting. Which you see a lot of stuff like this, this idea that they're going to jail, they're going to get raided by the yeah. FBI because they're like showing up at school boards to protest vaccine mandates and mask mandates. Um, and then like in the middle of all this stuff, mostly talking about like anti-vax shit, there's also this post talking about how this post that's a video of a woman at a school board talking about how a, a book needed to be banned. And she's reading it. The book she's reading is a queer memoir. 
Um, and yeah, it's I'll, I'll about, talk about like, I'll talk about this more at the end, but you could definitely mention it here because it, it comes yeah. up a lot. It's it's a gay it's a gay coming of age story, right? And as a result, there's a couple of of semi graphic scenes in it, and she like gets up in front of the school board and reads this and argues that it's basically like pornography they, for children they think yeah. it's child pornography yeah that, yeah that's what they're mar- that's what they're marketing is, it as is mistaking trying, what child pornography is they're for trying one thing, to they're whatever. trying to get all the people at the school board either killed or arrested mm-hmm. for over this that is yes. that is their goal and i'll and, talk about this specific instance later because it keeps coming yeah. up on all of these channels yes and it's one of the main things that links someone from like a sod on red channel to a channel like this this is yeah. like one of the main things they've been using the past few weeks like and all it, this is like current this is like the it, past it, few weeks and and this is this though has been going on for a while you've seen yes. a lot of in like the libertarian right wing a lot of like kill your local pedophile shirts because who's yeah. gonna and a the, lot most the, people don't think like who's gonna defend a pedophile the they're proud not talking boy about actual portland, pedophiles yeah, yeah. The, the, the proud boy at the portland school board who was yeah. standing and ready to fight the ready to fight security guards and stuff he was wearing a kill your local pedophile yeah. uh a baseball yeah and, cap. and it's this is this is the thing this is the thing the right wing figured out and they, they figured this out a long time ago which is that okay if if you want to get a bunch of people who are vaguely normal to do like absolutely horrible violence the way you do it is to tell them that they're threatening kids yep and it doesn't matter that's what... why QAnon works so well yeah yeah well, it's, what, it's, it's one of the, the reasons why. yeah yeah and you know and this once and once once you've convinced you know, like this. This is this is just a very, I think a very important thing about media messaging in general is that the literally the instant someone says "think of the children," you need to stop and you need to disregard everything they're mm-hmm. about to say after that. Ideally, like, hit them in the head with a stick. Yeah, like ninety nine point nine percent of the time, that person is like about to try to convince you that like you need to like we need to murder the gays or something like that like yeah. that's that that's the thing that follows I, from I, I feel confident that. saying no one has ever advocated thinking of the children and meant anything but I want to kill this specific group of people um just like I that's not even really hyperbole. Uh, it's it's a a tried and true organizing tactic for these people, and it, it's part of the reason why, like the the famous white nationalist catchphrase, is focused around we need to secure a future for white children, right? Like that's what they're always talking about with all of this shit, and it's it's about being able to demonize a group in a way that they can't be defended. It's about ending any sort of debate or conversation. And it's about justifying thoughtless violence because it's you're protecting children. Yeah. Um, you know who else protects children, Robert? Definitely not the advertisers of this show um, because we are sponsored by Raytheon brand school bus seeking missiles. The only missiles that only seek school buses. You cannot shoot them at a tank, at a, at a technical, at a, at a terrorist training camp. They go right through school buses no matter where you aim them. So in that way, they're a fire and forget kind of weapon as long as you're willing to forget anything but hitting a child's school bus with a, with a missile. So okay, here's, here's some ads. Check it out. All um, right. Yeah, we're back. Still talking about this. Uh, last, yeah, so last segment for this episode. As we, as we, as I was talking about, there's a post that, and, and and the post is a video of a woman from a different school board meeting reading out a graphic, a graphic-ish sex scene from this queer memoir and ranting about how it's it's child pornography. Comments include fucking monsters running these schools, satanic and disgusting, an elementary school, unreal. Why aren't charges brought against the school for distributing pornography to minors? It's not even Where's required. The, it's not even required I, I know. reading. It's I, like they, I, they I, could request it's just it from a book the library that's available. and sent yeah. from some other library. It's like because you can request a lot of books at libraries. Mm. 
in all caps, where's the sheriffs? Where are the city, county, state, and federal task forces? And, uh, yeah, it's, I'll, it's... I'll talk about this more in the next episode tied to just yeah. the overarching anti, anti-queer, anti <sighs> anti-trans, anti-gay school board yeah. side of and, things. And, of course, other things I found, there's, like, video of them celebrating Capitol rioters, celebrating Josh Hawley for defending Capitol rioters. Um, I went into some other channels that were adjacent that I saw shared you know, in this channel, one of them was uh, Oscar's Midnight Writer Patriot Post channel, which actually has thousands and thousands of followers. Average post would get two to three thousand views. Um, here's one. I'm considered a domestic terrorist if I tell a school board that I don't want my eight year old daughter watching sex videos in her third grade classroom. Um, and that post was right above this post. The Constitution actually says you can legally overthrow your government if they are tyrannical. And that post was right above this post, which was a, a screen which was a screen grab from a uh, a Twitter account for a guy who calls himself Murray Rothbard 1776. The FBI didn't raid Epstein Island or protect hundreds of young female gymnasts from being sexually assaulted for years, but they'll raid your PTA meetings when you question the curriculum and unscientific mask mandates in their indoctrination camps. I mean public schools. And of course, this from from a Twitter user named Emerald Robinson. And again, this is all shared in that channel. It's like a screen grab from Twitter. When the FBI starts arresting parents at school board meetings, just remember the GOP senators who made it happen by confirming Merrick Garland as attorney general. And then it's a list of Republican uh, Also, Emerald, uh, Emerald Robinson is the White House correspondent for Newsmax. Oh, right. Oh, my God. I, yep, you're right. Uh-huh. Yep. Great. Yay. Great. So, I don't know. That's probably all I should get into uh, well, no, there's a, no, we can, what, we can, we can go for one more thing. Pages. Yeah. So Oscar's <laughs> Midnight Writer, which was shared in, in that, uh, that school board channel took me to the Western Chauvinist school board channel, which took me to a post, which with a video, um, with a link to a video, the text with the video was woman at school board meeting calls out Jewish power by name. Um, and it's a woman ranting about how the Jews are behind all of the critical race theory in schools. Yep. Um, so again, not hard to get to this kind of shit. Another nope. post was, uh, it was in the Western Chauvinist Telegram. It was sharing a post from the Murder the Media Telegram, who were part of the Capitol riot. Um, that post from Murder the Media was National School Board Association apology letter for calling you domestic terrorist. It was, we'll talk about this later. But the yep. the comment in the Western Chauvinist was like, we don't apologize for being like for being domestic terrorists, like. Yeah, we're, yeah, we we think it's rad that they called us domestic so, terrorists because we are. The Western Chauvinist channel, by the way, has over fifty thousand subscribers, um, yeah. and used to be a Proud Boy channel, which is now just a general kind of mm-hmm. farther right wing organizing channel. That is probably it's one of the most shared Telegram channels yeah. in this whole network. Yeah, um, and they are really good at creating propaganda that appeals to Trump voters while slipping in a lot of accelerationist talking points. Yeah. Um, to slowly lead people on that breadcrumb trail to make them be okay with mass yeah. violence. There was a comment in there uh, forwarded from uh, another, from the Telegram account of a guy named Eric Stryker. Um, and this was a post Stryker made commenting on a video of a father being dragged out of a, quote, woke school board meeting um, for uh, uh, complaining, of, eh, complaining about this kind of shit. Um, the, the, the post from Eric Stryker, I think, is worth reading, and I'm going to read it now. 
For now, all we can do is impotently watch injustices like this unfold. This is really upsetting. We must build our political organization to the point where we can rapidly mobilize to defend this man, including physical demonstrations, send him free legal support, and make people realize that the time of fucking with whites is over. We need our own media, civil society groups, and activists. We need money and volunteers. It's not the Republican Party or anything in the conservative movement. It never will be. We need to build it from scratch. We are well underway. National Justice Party. We must quietly and patiently build. Eventually, we will have the capacity to come on the scene when they least expect it, and will be, and we will be too powerful to stop. And that's probably where we should end for today. Yep, that that's a, a good part one, motherfuckers. Good sad intro into the current problem of school board mm-hmm. meetings. We'll get into a lot more like accelerating rhetoric in the next bit, and then talk about kind of mm-hmm. where this stuff originated from and the other other side of things beyond just like the CRT and uh, and and mask stuff because it branches out into a lot of other kind of um, adjacent culture war bullshit issues. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, yeah, we'll do that tomorrow. Um, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Happen Here Pod and Cool Zone Media if you want to be on those apps, which I don't know why you would. Yeah, don't so, be on those apps. Get you know, I just found out they'll deliver skinned gators to your door. Get into cooking gators. I that's what I plan to do. I'm getting off Twitter and I'm Gator is the new social network. So Gator. Gator. BP added more than $70 billion to the US economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just 348 With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. 
Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. What second my part of this episode on right-wing attempts to attack and dominate school board meetings in order to further their ability to do violence on marginalized groups and also erode democratic institutions from the ground up. Catchy title. Yeah, yeah, that'll uh, that'll click well. Oh, I'm so glad we don't have to worry about clicking and titles and... It, Nope. That took up a lot of my mind back in the day, Garrison, back when back when the Internet was different. Now we don't have to worry about that anymore. But what we do have to worry about are mobs of fascists attacking school board meetings. Yeah, happens, happens every week. Keeps happening yeah. more often. Yeah. School boards are calling for assistance. They mm-hmm. seem pretty they seem pretty not thrilled. Yeah, they seem uh, not psyched about uh, all that. Yep. So where, 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 when we left off, I was talking about some things I found on the Gram Telegram. Uh, Garrison, yep. what's next? I'll I'll go into my preliminary research on Telegram and particularly respond. So basically, I looked through every single Telegram post and all of the main fascist channels I lurk on uh, that mentions school boards from like the past two weeks. Um, so like yeah, this is like current current stuff. Uh, on ongoing. Um, I got to a, a lot of the channels I was already familiar with, like you know the Western Chauvinist channel, which has fifty thousand uh, uh, subs. Um, the Stanford Students Channel, which was a, one I was less familiar with, specifically dedicated to this school board issue. Um, one, one of the posts I, we have on there is uh, says, your enemy isn't some far-off shithole country. Your enemy is just down the street at your local school board meeting, uh, teaching your kids to hate their ancestors, you and themselves. So, like, again, that is a very much white supremacist dog whistle just yep. right there. Um, talking about yeah. producing Hollywood movies, writing the Not news. Not even really know. a dog whistle. <laughs> no, they're pretty, yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. it's basically just a whistle. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, then, they, you know, the same post talks about, you know, masks and shutting down businesses and the vaccines and stuff and saying the fight is here and the fight is now. So just in terms of, like, yeah, they're really wanting to hype people up for doing this Thing at school boards they're trying to really hammer down the school board point so like i i found this i found this post this is this is a post from the Stanford students channel um and i saw this one uh, reshared in a lot of different channels and one of the other first ones that i saw pop off uh was from uh, ron watkins channel uh, code monkey z he is one of the yeah. one of the architects or one of the you know people who really pushed QAnon stuff into you he, know, he's discourse. he's the guy who ran like the the, eight, eight, the eight, physical eight infrastructure of yeah. Nate Chan, 8chan and 8kun for years. Yeah, he and he's trying to pivot into being like having his just his face be like a a kind of alternative right wing figure right now. Yeah, uh, he's gonna running for office in Arizona, I believe. Anyway, uh, he has a very popular Telegram channel, um, and he he made he made this post that had over a thousand uh, over a thousand comments on it, which is a lot for Telegram. A thousand comments on Telegram posts, especially Telegram posts. Of it's Code McKee's yeah. size. I want to see how, how many subs it is. So, Ron, just for his context, Ron Watkins has 432,000 subscribers on his on his uh, Telegram channel. So, Woo. yep. Yeah. Anyway, uh, CRT is being rebranded as S E 
L, a, a social emotional learning. If you are attending school board meetings, as you should be, do what you can to make sure you stop both SEL and CRT and keep them and, and make sure that they are banned in your school districts. So, again, just call, direct calls to action for getting people to show up to these school boards. And also, social emotional learning is not CRT. And of course, CRT no. is not even taught in schools. I think everyone who listens to this podcast knows that crt actually like critical race theory isn't we, taught in schools this isn't an actual thing it's it is like a legal theory we'll get into more of how this got like pushed towards the end i think chris has some stuff prepared on that yeah we, we yeah yeah it's again these, these none of these things are actually real it's a complex legal theory what they're really mad about is their people are teaching that racism is like an issue that's built into a lot of american institutions and is an ongoing thing it's not a thing of the past that's what they're actually mad about and they just call that crt some some of the comments from the Ron Ropkins post, uh, stuff like, uh, these snowflakes are so annoying. I'm about to start cutting power to any school in my community that teaches this. Um, Great. So, yeah, more again, that's just a direct, a direct threat of doing terrorism. <laughs> Shutting, like, <laughs> I mean, less of a threat and more of a, a promise. Yeah. Does that yeah. make it better? No, it sure doesn't. All right, well. I don't um, understand things the same way you Zoomers do. Please continue. Yeah, a lot of a lot of posts being uh, shared around from channel to channel, including just full Nazi channels, were um, like trying to trying to. Of course, like lots of Nazis are actually, you know, thought it was pretty funny that the that the school board union put in a call to assistance to the federal government to deal with this issue. They, of course, they thought that was funny, but they're going to use this to like spread into networks to be like, hey, the government wants to stop you. They're calling you a terrorist. You, like regular folk, are being called terrorists because you're showing up to school boards, right? That's the kind of message that they're going to shoot out. So they, a lot of Nazi channels crafted a lot of posts like that that got yep. shared around a lot. Yep. Yeah, in trying to basically, all tying critical race theory and you know, if you protest against critical race theory, they're calling you a domestic terrorist. That that type of thing, and this got this got shared in like the school boards channel and a whole bunch whole bunch of other stuff being being talking about how if if you if you stand up, you're going to be a domestic terrorist. You have to be brave and do this. A few days after the school board, uh, not a few days. I guess this this was this was in like in October. Um, the school board association. Uh, retracted some of the some of the words that they used in their letter because of this backlash that was created, and this was all, also shared in shared in uh, lots of fascist channels. Uh, the main one it was shared in that I saw was the Honk Pilled channel, um, which is just another type of Pepe meme. Um, yeah. Uh, one of the other one of the other big big kind of groups active in this. In this whole sphere, and this this has been a group going on for a while that we haven't talked about on the pod, but we probably should do something eventually. Is this group called White Rose? So this is uh, White Rose is a COVID conspiracy group that has been very uh, successful in creating on the ground organizers who are regular people. And, uh, they do a lot of like sticker bombs in lots of neighborhoods. If you have if you ever seen anti like COVID or, or COVID conspiracy stickers in your neighborhood, it was probably a White Rose sticker. Um, these are all over the states and basically every and major as a, city. As a quick heads up, the original White Rose was a student protest organization that existed in Nazi Germany. Yeah. Um, and protested illegally, and its organizers were executed uh, by the Nazis. And I think it was the mid forty. I mean, it would have been like forty-three, maybe, maybe forty-four. Um, Sophie Scholl was the the person most associated with them. So they 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 they've taken. The, the name the of names this. of these these heroes um in order to 
it's just disgusting. It's very yeah. gross. There's it's there's a decent bad. amount of decent amount of researchers in this field thinks that there's like actual bad people behind white rose. Of course, they're like bad, like bad people because they're spreading COVID stuff. But like like way like like more like bad actors use basically astroturfing this thing. Uh, but white rose deserves its own piece later. But uh, because they have such a big following on Telegram, they are of course uh, using using this to using the school board thing to gain more support. They have about 50,000 subscribers to their specific Telegram channel. They they, they shared a post uh, a few weeks ago saying, uh, thank you to all the brave parents going out to their school boards and standing up for the children. Um, and, it, and they they try to, you know, get people to do sticker bombs and stuff. But the fact that there's, like, specifically calling out people in school boards is, like, an, an extra step of, like, beyond just putting st- stickers up in your neighborhood. Um, another another uh, another white, white rose post they shared a shared a, a, a video um that was uh, captioned as concerned parent absolutely destroys school board with facts the school boards are the battlefield of our time this mm-hmm. is how it's done and just the increasing rhetoric around like battlefields this is where like the fight is at all that kind of stuff um there was another uh, uh the white white chauvinist channel shared a video from uh, fox news um and they they the western chauvinist uh, channel, which is again, it's one of the most shared ones in this whole network. Uh, they captioned this saying, uh, "Parents in Virginia are trying to fight back against the school board that is anti-white." Um, every every school district in America needs to have an anti-mandate, pro-right parents running for the school board. So that's just the it's this type of stuff all over. And this 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 post was uh, uh, got it has like a eleven eleven thousand eleven thousand views. Um, so th- these things are spreading to a lot of a lot of these specific networks, and I mean, I I have so many of this kind of stuff. I'm not going to go through every single one in detail. There's ones that are way more like openly anti-Semitic, uh, you know, saying you know the Jews that run you know X school board um, are trying to force vaccinations on every student over 12. Um, other uh, an- another uh, there's this fake ch- there's this there's this fake Clint Eastwood channel on Telegram that's pretty popular. Someone who's pretending to be Clint Eastwood. To yeah, that's, that, spreads that makes sense. Far yeah. right stuff. Um, he had a post that was shared a lot that started by saying, "Start taking over school boards. Start taking over city councils. Start taking over city boards. Um, start to, start being poll watchers. Start being poll workers. Start taking over sheriff's departments. It's not enough just to vote." So this this is the other thing that we're going to see a lot more of is rhetoric around voting isn't enough. You need to start doing more things. Um, there is one of it. Yeah, here here's here's one. This is gonna. This is referencing some of like the trans stuff I'll discuss in a bit. But I just want to tie it in now. Uh, a, a post from the Western Chauvinist channel saying there is no political solution, which is a a, a direct Nazi, a direct yeah. Nazi line. Yeah. I mean that that's what uh I did an article earlier this year on Riley Williams, the Nazi who stole Pelosi's laptop during the Capitol riot, and then like the video that we were able to identify her as a Sig Heiling Nazi, and that's the, how she opened her quote. There is no political solution. It's a very common catchphrase among like the the fash right. Yeah. So th- there's been a lot of stuff around harassing like specific school board members, harassing specific teachers. There was this teacher in uh, I think in California that was trying to like introduce like uh, like anti-fascist type rhetoric and talking about how fascism is a modern thing. They got absolutely bashed um, and like doxed, um, and they got I think fired because there was like hundreds of of parents organizing on on apps like Telegram to harass this one teacher at school boards. That you know they they took over massive school board meetings and just talked about this one teacher endlessly. Um, 
and it was even interesting because like all the parents were like, "Yeah, my my I I got worried because my student actually really like liked the teacher and said that they were doing like giving really interesting points mm-hmm. about like system, system, systemic issues." And the parents were like, and they like brought their kids to the school board meetings. And there's the kids are just standing in the back as their parents are ranting about this and talking about how the kids actually like thought they were learning things um, mm-hmm. about systemic issues, and then that got people mad. So you know what else gets people mad. Uh, this is a, uh, advertisements, yeah. And we're back. We're gonna we're gonna touch on the uh the specifics, so, like all the stuff we've been talking about. Most of the modern, most most of like the current organizing is a lot of it's around like mask mandates and vaccine mandates. Um, like all of this, like all like you know the this the school board channel, all of this kind of stuff is usually around vaccine vaccines and mask stuff. Uh, of course, there's critical race theory was the way more popular thing a few months ago. Right now, it's a vaccine thing. The other kind of like ever present thing is uh, being upset that trans kids exist and being very fearful that you, that there are trans kids around your kids. Uh, this is a thing that's been you know a thing for years that people have been fighting against. And since the school board thing is becoming more popular, people are are starting to. Uh, bring basically do these kind of flash mobs specifically around trans issues um one of like the more like astroturf type things was uh, people getting mad that there were like two specific books available in certain high school and some middle school libraries um that one of it was like a uh like uh one of it was the memoir that robert mentioned the other one was like a uh graphic novel memoir about uh, someone realizing their gender queer so these these are books that are not in curriculums. These are just books that are available at the library. Um, and basically, there was people who dis- who found these out and got turned it into like like a meme on Telegram, essentially. Like people like sharing information about this. Then you like look it up to see if it's in your library. So then it, we have all of these like coordinated attacks on school boards by these mobs of people, all about these same two books. Um, and the goal is to not only just get the books like banned, but they're also trying to like fire or arrest the teachers and school board mm-hmm. members for allowing these books to happen. There has been school, school board members who have like stepped down because of just how much harassment is about these things. Quote from the Western Chauvinist Channel: Jesus Christ, straight up pedophile books in our children's schools. Once again, the Jewish school board member gets mad and tries to shut them down. How can you not connect the dots here? There's no political solution. Voting will not remove these people. Um, there was uh, the uh, mayor of Houston. Uh, so, in the the mayor of Houston, Ohio, uh, heard about this, and he went to a school board meeting and instructed all of them, all of the board members, to resign. Um, qu- quoting the uh, quoting the Proud Boy right wing organizing channel, Western Chauvinist. Uh, this comes after some of the d- degenerate parasites in the system called educators instructed kids to describe a sex scene that they wouldn't show their mom. Of course, this, this didn't happen. This is this is the, the, these these things are not are not. These books are not used in any kind of curriculum anyway. So even even if they were, that that we're not even we're not even in that reality. Um, so the the mayor of this town basically uh, got these uh, instructed these instructed all of these people to resign. Um, uh, earlier, I think in uh, March, no, in August of of this year, uh, pride flags were banned at a uh, at a school uh, school district inside uh, Southwest Oregon. Um, I think around I think around Newburgh, the the Newburgh school district banned 
but ban pride flags. So all this kind of stuff, and of course that is in a lot of states. But the, again, the yeah. fact that it's in like Oregon, a blue state, is people got made like you know there's like you know NBC articles about it because it's it's Oregon. It's not it's yeah. it's, it's not it's it's not a red state. So like, it's all big. It's all Portland. It's all Antifa, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. No. Yeah. yeah. So again, this stuff is not 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 like contained to one thing. And like yeah, if, if you Google the the stuff around these books, if you Google like gender queer book. Uh, school boards, you'll find this in so many school districts. You'll see just mobs of people lined up yelling and screaming um, and like like printing out giant like giant cardboard prints of of this comic book showing like sh- like uh, 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 with like you know there's like a dick on it like there's like a drawn a drawn dick <laughs> because that's what human bodies look like. Like you can look at like a lot of his like yeah you're like what are you gonna ban the statue of David because he has his dick out too like like come on like, also yeah. th- these are the same people who talk about like oh they're you know banning books burning books you know right they, they, there was that there was that tweet from like James Woods about like these are the books that people want banned that means they're the most important ones but these people love these people love like burning books these people love banning books they love yep. cancel culture. The, the cult that I was that I was in as a kid, they would have like massive like book and like CD and DVD burnings for like un like unholy and sinful media that you would like bring in and like throw like your sinful music onto this giant fire. Like these people love love burning books. They love they love banning stuff. They love cancel culture, um, but they just lie about it. Yeah. So that was that was most of my stuff around the kind of the ongoing queer and trans stuff. Of course, the, you know this ties into like bathroom stuff as well. Uh, the people showing up to school board meetings to scream about you know kids going shit in the bathroom that they want to and feel comfortable in. Um, you know, and again, like it doesn't. It's not going to stop with trans people either, right? As soon as they ban trans people, the no. next thing is going to be oh, gay students, right? This is it, it never. It never stops. It always keeps going, um, and it's just an ever present problem that is going to require a lot more a lot more dealing with and again with all of these flash mobs like no one no one's going to stop them because they're like the people in power they're the people that have all of the privilege there's no really effective counter organizing for these school board meetings right now um the cops nope. aren't going to do shit security guards aren't going to do shit uh and regular libs and regular regular people aren't going to do shit either and it's hard to figure out how to actually combat this because there's a lot of times that the people in the school boards will be like, no, we don't want this to turn into a giant like fist fight. It's like don't don't well, come in mass to start fist fighting them, but there needs to be something to combat, yeah. whether that be, you know, running running for school boards, just showing up outside school boards, having just more people there in having more presence there, uh, so that it, it's not as overwhelmed by like a mob of two hundred anti mask people showing up, right? There needs to be some type of thing happening because no one else it, is it needs do to it. be countered and yeah you know what they might need to get the shit kicked out of them i'm sorry but like i don't like i don't think that would actually help in this instance probably but like there needs to be fucking something like they they are the 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 level of boldness that they have is evidence that they they feel they they are confident that there is no counter to what there is going to be done and perhaps if they were being met by a wall of people in the community who were willing, if they tried to force their way in, to fucking throw down, you know, to say, you're not entering this building without a goddamn mask. You're not shutting down this meeting. Um, I don't know. Maybe that would do something. I don't actually know what would do I think, something I because think if it was nothing's like, worked. But... If it was people dressed as regular people, I think that would be Yeah, it's certainly not going to help if it's Antifa. 
um, for the love of God, don't show up and fucking black block at a school board meeting. Um, like what would work is a bunch of other middle-aged parents showing yeah. up and being willing to confront these people if physically, yeah, yeah. if need and, be. And, and like another thing that is worth mentioning is that a lot of the people at these protests like are not parents at all. Like mm-hmm. it, no. they're not, they're not, they're not even from the same school district. They're just sort of like this, this is just how the, this is just how the sort of right wing outrage machine has worked. And this is where they're drawing people. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, again, like it's it's a lot of the people in there. There's going to be big dudes who want to fight, but a lot of the people like screaming are are like you know middle aged women, the people who are like really like leading the charge on this because they're able to use their privilege, and because like no one's going to stop them, right? So that that's like yep. when they're leading the charge of like two hundred people who are going to like scream and harass and chase out black security guards, chase out, chase out the, uh, the all this all the school board members. No one's they're they're very effective at using their privilege to gain political ground by just like doing stuff on the ground. It's like, you know, this is like this is like the January 6th thing. It's like the January 6th thing. This is the new future of political action is just showing up in mass to places where no one's going to stop you because you're mm-hmm. like you're the, you know, the good, relatable, you know, ev- everyday you're man. Fucking type white. Thing. Yeah. yeah, you're you anyway. That's that's the stuff I had. Uh, we'll probably have an ad break and then talk about maybe some of how this stuff started. Speaking of using your privilege, you know what is the greatest privilege? Being Buying able to products. purchase the products that, yeah, that's exactly right. There's no privilege higher than being able to engage with these consumables. Yay. And we're back. All right. Uh, Chris? You want to close us out? Yeah. So the last thing I want to talk about that is interesting about this whole thing is you know we, we've we've been mostly been focusing on the the very furthest right elements of this, but a lot of the school board stuff is tied to, I mean, just straight up Republican Party operatives and people who work in this sort of you know I mean there's there's literally a bunch of people who work for the Republican Party as we'll get into, and then there's also this sort of network of of Republican think tanks, Republican sort of. Yeah, dark money dumps. That that's a lot of a lot of astroturf groups and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and and so I I, I want to talk about a few of these people because I think they're interesting. Um, I I think we can start with Nicole Nelly, who's an interesting person. She's so she she most recently founded Parents Defending Education, who are they're, they're one of the big groups who sort of like spread this this sort of attack on school board stuff all over the country. They have chapters. They organize people. And they also, you know, they do this thing where they, they collect quote, incident reports from, from school districts that they, you know, just distribute to all these people and they put it online. They have all of these, uh, they, 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 they have a lot of stuff they do. They, they do a lot of anti-mask mandate stuff. So they have these like template letters, like template, like fake legal yeah, form yeah. letter things that you can send to schools that if you don't want to wear a mask. That is a now, staple, that's a staple of this type of organizing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing about Nicole Nelly is that, so this is not like, her first org like three years ago in 2018 back in the 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 halcyon days of of i you know i i I, i'm not quite gonna say it was before the mask fully came off but it was while the mask was like a little bit more on she she previously founded a speech first yeah you might remember yeah as the republic back when free speech was the big talking point yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah 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 and so she ran that for a while now she's you know organizing with a whole bunch of people who just want to yeah books. they just move yeah, on it, they move on to the new things it, it was it was free speech it was critical race theory right now it's anti-mask stuff next up is going to be trans stuff going real hard uh yep. j- just today we had the 
fucking the uh, person who BBC platformed the the fucking like um yeah Lily Cade um the rapist Lily Cade yeah, wrote a whole yeah. manifesto where she details which specific trans women she wants to personally kill um, yeah I uh I used to know Lily um oh yeah 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 uh real dark turn um I don't know I guess it's not super surprising she was a uh, definitely I interviewed her for a documentary and it was. She was a bit off-putting. Uh, didn't realize this was going on. I mean, yeah, yeah there's there's a yeah. lot of a lot a lot of reports of people in like the sex work industry of uh, talking about her like raping people in bathrooms. Yeah, which again is like, yeah, the, the people is always screaming about, oh no, trans women are in bathrooms. Yet the people, the person screaming about this is an actual rapist. Yeah, um, like and, and I say, like when, when we say rapist here, like she 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 raped so many people that like. On Twitter, like I was scrolling through my feed and I saw multiple people who were like, "Oh, I know this person. She assaulted me." Yeah, mm-hmm. it's and, real like, bad. This is the people who the turfs are like pushing. As, yeah, this as the like, sort of anti-trans stuff. The BBC yeah. was platforming her, so like, yeah, like trans stuff is, is as soon as as soon as the anti-mask, uh, anti-vax stuff like dies down in the next, I don't know, five months or whatever. Uh, I I foresee a massive pivot towards yeah. specifically anti anti-trans, anti-queer, anti-gay stuff because mm-hmm. that's going to be the 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 new thing. Yep. And 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 I think it's it's worth bearing in mind that this stuff, yeah, and, you know, with, with Nicole Nelly specifically. So she she worked she like worked at the Cato Institute, which is like Murray Rothbard and Charles yep. Koch. Now it's it's mm-hmm. I, yeah, it's it's it's, bas- it's basically this is a slight oversimplification, but it's basically one of the Koch sort of like money laundering like yeah. money operation things. She also worked at Freedom Works, who. Oh great! Uh, yeah, yeah, this is great. So um, this is this is one of the fun parts of this, which is that. So Freedom Works is another one of the Koch's sort of dark money laundering machine things. And Freedom Works are basically the people who created the Tea Party. Like they're the people who turned the Tea Party from like a bunch of weird guys, just like like six weirdos into like you know, the the basically the 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 entirety of the pre-Trump conservative political machine who like yeah. rebuilt the Republican Party after it was like completely discredited um in, in the 2000s. Yeah. And this is true of a lot of the people who are in charge of these big orgs have connections like this. Um, the, the the person you found in No Left Turn, which is uh, No Left Turn, yeah, No Left Turn Education. They're 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 another one of these big sort of anti school board things. I mean, they they're the people. They're one of the people who like they have a list of books on their website that they want banned. Wow, yeah, it's great. Cool. It's great. And their founder uh, writes for the Heritage Foundations, like magazine. So yeah, there, there, there's yep. there's all of this stuff, and, and and I think maybe the most emblematic one is this guy is Mark Rufo, who yeah, fucking Rufo, yeah, yeah. Right? So so he he's he's the guy who just created the whole critical race theory thing out of nothing. He like threw together a bunch of like inc- just like these incredibly tenuous connections. Like there's there's a bunch of sort of old I uh, I. Uh, cultural marxism conspiracy stuff in there yeah it's a lot of like frankfurt school type shit yeah yeah and and but but what i think is interesting about him is less his ideas which are just pseudo intellectual yeah he he doesn't he's not actually super smart in what he says there's a lot of videos of him talking to actual philosophers getting schooled about what critical race theory is like he's he's actually not that intelligent in this in this side of things but but you know that the thing is that doesn't there's matter nothing because... more dangerous than an idiot with a trick up his sleeve. Exactly, yeah, well, and, and you know, and then the 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 trick basically is Fox News, and you know the, the reason the reason this whole thing exists is that this was you know Mark Rufo, he's he's ex- very very explicit about this that this 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 was his solution to the 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 George Floyd uprising. Yeah, 
was that oh we we need we need to we need to find this thing to stop the momentum of this uprising and this is this is who Tucker Carlson brings on starts bringing on twenty twenty and this blows up and he immediately gets hired by the Manhattan Institute which is a, a very uh, not that old but they're from the eighties but a very sort of an old extremely powerful conservative think tank that I don't think I think is less known than things like the Heritage Foundation or, or the Cato Institute yeah I would say so yeah but he he gets they hire him like immediately because you know the 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 sort of main line of the Republican Party very quickly is like this is the thing that we can use as like a hammer right and so the Manhattan Institute publishes this in like, Rufo works for them now I I, I can't I'm not actually sure if he I don't know if he specifically wrote this or if he was just involved in it. I think it, 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 it's it's the byline is just the Manhattan Institute, but it ha- they have this incredibly detailed toolkit explaining how, you know, both, both explaining what the sort of right wing like t- line on critical race theory is. And they have like a bunch of explainers they have like lists of terms. If you've ever it's seen massive. Like, Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's actually yeah. If you've ever seen like list of terms that people want banned, like it's all just pulled from this document, right? So this will add stuff. Um, now, but but the interesting part about this is the other thing is this this is an organizing manual, right? It's 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 a specific thing that tells yep. you how to go and how to find other people, uh, like other other people. You know, if if you're like an incensed right wing like freak in one of these school districts, it's like okay, well here's here's how you like talk to other people in your district. Here's here's a like, list of options of like things you can do going public, and then. There's a very interesting thing part of this that that I think is really disturbing and, and outlines like really what's going on here, which is there's this whole like freak out thing about this thing called minority rule, where like oh the left has this like they have this like militant minority that that will compel the majority to follow them by uh because they 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 keep on showing up and they keep on doing things and if this if this minority like uh, it keeps keep keeps I. Uh, you know, being more intransigent than everyone else, then they will inevitably win. And this, the, the, like three quarters of this section is this like weird fear mongering thing about it. But then the last part of it is a bunch is a thing that's saying, oh, we need to do this ourselves, right? This is how we win. We win by being more intransigent. We win by showing up more often. Yeah, of course. By, yeah, and you know, and this is this is the other thing is this is from like last year, I think. I th- I mean, uh, this the, is like the, the early, toolkit like is, is this toolkit summer. Is, oh, yeah. Okay, that's sorry. This is this is from yeah. Sorry, this is early this year. But it's it's, it's interesting because it's like. This is the sort of you know this, this is this is the Republican Party, essentially. I mean, the Manhattan Institute's very very mainstream Republican Party. This yeah, is this is this is how they do effective in person organizing. We we talked about yeah. this a bit mm-hmm. in our episodes um, about the like in the aftermath of the abortion ruling in Texas and how and how yep. like the religious right wing organizing has worked in local districts. Yeah, this this is how they are able to get things done, which is why there's been so many school band members who either get fired, who've had to step down, who have been harassed off the job, and are now there's people, you know, a lot of a lot of like people I would describe as people holding very extreme yep. uh, views are now running and taking these spots. Yep. Um, because if you can do if you can do this type of like again, it's, it's not grassroots, but it's it's it is it is like astroturf, so like it appears yeah. grassroots. But if you can do this type of like grassroots organizing you can gain a lot of power over specific areas and make a lot of people's lives a lot more miserable and that's yeah. that that's what the goal is right the goal is to yeah. make well, it's, like, it's, trans kids lives miserable the goal is to get people to not wear masks and die of covid the, like the, the, that those are the results of these actions well i i think i think there, there, there's an interesting interplay here though because i think because so freedom works like like even even a lot of the specific protests that are happening and this is especially true of of the very earlier earliest ones. I think like when when like the very first school board protests that were happening. Yeah, like like a lot s- of these summer to fall of twenty twenty was when they started yeah. really to start up. Yeah, and and those a lot of those were directly organized by by people who work for Freedom Works. Okay, and 
and th- this is this is what a I lot of the CRT is, ones, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the CRT ones, yeah, are very specifically FreedomWorks, and and this is what I think is interesting about this is that you know, okay, FreedomWorks, it's like okay, so what what is FreedomWorks out of this? FreedomWorks wants a Tea Party again, right? Because you know, the, this is this is what FreedomWorks does, right? They're 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 basically the group that comes in when the, when the Republicans start losing election cycles, they're like, okay, well now we need to get the balance of power back. We need to bring run the Democrats out, so they're 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 largely trying to build a sort of electoral base. And and again, like this, this this will look familiar to people who remember 2010 because it's the same thing, except, and this is the thing that I I, I this is the part where I genuinely can't tell whether the Freedom Works people, whether the Cokes, whether that whether this sort of Darkwing network, either I don't I can't tell whether they understand what they're doing and like it or they're just incredibly naive, but you know this is not 2010, right? You can't when when you start mobilizing people. Like mobilizing people on the right wing to go to a place, they don't just like sit there and hold signs anymore. No, they take you cannot. This you is... cannot contain them at this point. Yeah, you cannot yeah. control the spread. Like you have once you've you've opened this can, and there's no way of putting them back in because as soon as they start organizing on apps like Telegram, they're one step away from skull masks, mm-hmm. and yeah. then they're being okay with cheering along people that are going to go beat up uh, that are going to go beat up people in these meetings. Yeah, and this is this is this is really the thing that and I think it's not just January sixth. I mean, we live in the shadow of January sixth, but it's also about you know if you look at how how the anti lockdown protests went in 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 twenty twenty, right? You have a bunch of people showing up with guns, the capitals, yeah, and it, that stuff was extremely effective. And that and the combination between that and January sixth has you know it's opened the floodgates. And now, yeah, you know, that was when, that when was what Cokes, led to January sixth being possible. Is the more yeah, and more. Yeah protests around capitals with people showing up in mass to overwhelm anyone and because they're all white and because they're all like middle class conservatives no one's going to stop them yeah and and you know and this is the thing right you know the 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 cokes i i i genuinely don't know what the cokes want out of this my guess is that the thing that they want is is a new base republican voters but that's not what they're creating the thing that they're creating is a new core of fascist street fighters and yep. you know, it, it it at some point it doesn't it literally doesn't matter whether or not this is what the Cokes are trying to do or to, like not trying to do because they're in the know, end it's the, it's just pushing people towards thinking there's no political solution. It's still yeah. the yep. it's o- only only violence and overwhelming people in mass is the only way to yep. get the change that they want. The change they want is to have trans Fascism. kids not exist and yeah, yep. and just more more and more like fascistic policies. Um, whether that be you know banning books that mention gay people existing or what it's like to be a gay person, whether that be teaching people that racism is still an actual thing that exists, or that be putting a mask on so you don't kill your grandma um, yep. or whatever. Yep. Well, and, and you know, and I, I think I think one last thing, right? Is, you know, we saw what happened last time they were in power, right? And it was you know, and uh, like yeah, you can, you can talk about how a lot of the worst stuff is still happening. It was like, yeah, they, they put a bunch of people in concentration camps, right? And if they, if they take back power again, and there's a good chance that they're going to, because, you know, the, the Democrats are being, they, 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 you know, the, 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 the Democrats never want to be in power. The thing they want to be is no. minority opposition so they can do fundraising. Right. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, when, when, when these people, if these people take power again, it's going to be even worse than it was last time. Yeah, the thing looking and, at looking at the Virginia yeah. election the night of recording is a great example of that. Yep. 
uh, in terms of, yeah, it turns out when Democrats just do nothing and just sit around in office, you don't convince young people to want to vote for them because they're not actually doing anything. So then they just sit out, then the Republicans actually do vote in people, then we get a we, anti-CRT person elected to be the governor of Virginia. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's the episode. Good times. Well, I hope everybody's optimistic, feeling nice. Well, um, we'll be back with something else. Research your school Next. boards, who's in it, and yeah. if there's protests up around it, and maybe show up with some of your, I don't know, buddies with your lattes and stand mm-hmm. in front of the building and be like, "No, we don't want you. We don't mm-hmm. want you to shut stuff down yeah. because no one else is going to stop them. It has yeah. to yep. be just like regular people. You can't. It's not going to be the cops. It's, it's not, not going to be, be any elected Democrat. And honestly, yep. like you can't rely on teens and black block to do this. That's is this nope. isn't this isn't yeah. what they need to be doing. It should be like. Yeah, it'd be like millennials and Gen X need to be like, "Hey, no, we're not gonna, nah. we're not gonna have you doing this." Mm-hmm. Well, that's the yeah, that's the episode. <laughs> that's the episode. Hey, we'll be back Monday with more episodes every week from now until the heat death of the universe. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very slow. all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. (laughs) Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on the Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just 348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. If you're ready for an epic family vacation, there's no better place than sunny Orlando. Exciting thrills, never-ending food festivals, fresh new dining experiences, outdoor adventures, and Florida's natural springs, and so much more. Orlando has it all. And Visit Orlando's vacation planners can help you plan the perfect trip. In Orlando, anything is possible if you can imagine it. And that's what makes Orlando unbelievably real. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com.